there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On this episode of the Video Archives podcast, what can you do with one arm? You can shake a man's hand. You can blow your lover a kiss. You can juggle. You can wave goodbye. You can wipe a tear. Maybe, just maybe, you can execute. Quentin and Roger earn the right to take revenge in The One-Armed Executioner. An Interpol agent is out for revenge against the gangsters that cut off his arm and killed his bride. Roger and Quentin discuss the realistic on-screen connection between Franco Guerrero and Jodie Kay, how tropes can be done correctly, and the artful sound design of this film. And, as an added bonus, the duo talk about the trailer's package with this Paragon tape. Next up, we talk sound spoilers about Welcome to Blood City. Five strangers wake up with no memory in a world that resembles the Wild West. If they can kill 20 other people, they'll become immortal. It's hunt or be hunted in Blood City. Quentin and Roger talk about how the great Jack Palance carries the film, how Pierre Dulay breaks his typecasting, and how this premise could easily be remade today. And lastly, five friends get together and decide to rob a bank. The catch? All five men are blind. 1976's Blind Rage is a new take on an old genre. Five blind master killers pull off the most unbelievable heist of all time. But even $15 million won't get them back their sight. Quentin and Roger discuss interesting characters, a unique heist planning sequence, and never-before-seen gadgets. Revenge made them hate the man, but money was their excuse to blast him. It's all going down at the International House of Pancakes, today at Video Archives. I'm Gala Avery, and joining us now, here's Quentin and Roger. Thank you very much, Gala. I appreciate it. Okay, kill the Bakalov. And hi, I'm Quentin Tarantino. And I am Roger Avery. And we're back again with the Video Archives podcast. We've got three interesting movies to talk about today that we're both uh, really excited to to talk about. So the first film is One-Armed Executioner. 
ultimate in action and adventure. Nothing can stop the one-armed executioner. And now, the one-armed executioner. Used and directed by Bobby A. Suarez. One-Armed Executioner, with co-hit Blind Rage, will be playing September 17th and 18th on glorious 35mm film at the new Beverly Cinema, 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. For further information, go to thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema, always on film! And let me explain how this actually kind of came about. Because if you've been listening to the show for a little bit, you kind of realize that we've got a certain kind of uh, uh, pattern, pers- like pattern as far as uh, uh, picking movies. Uh, usually it's, not always, but usually it's the, the most famous, most prestige one is our okay. first film. That might be like a studio film of some kind, like yeah. a big uh, production or something. Absolutely. And then like, uh, and then something fairly comparative works as, as a companion piece, yeah. as the second feature. A little scene... Interesting yeah. film. That that's kind of how we we go about it. More or less, the the more prestige two movies are the the first one and the second one, and then the idea is the third one is some obscure exploitation oddity or you know, fallen off the track uh, foreign film that we pull from the bowels of the collection. Yeah. I have a whole list of different, like, cool exploitation films that I've heard about but I've never seen. Because one of the things about the show is I want to pick at least one movie that I haven't seen. That's a big part of the reason to do the show. If I can get two I haven't seen, all the better, but at least one. And so there's a whole group of exploitation films with, like, cool boxes that always kind of sound neat. And and I've, I've never got around to seeing them, but actually watching them with a friend and then having an excuse to do a show on them will, will be the thing that sets you down to to watch them and that's it's really kind of cool and if and if me and roger start watching one and it doesn't float our boat or we don't like it like okay fuck this one you know so we just take it out we just throw it out so one on executioner has been sitting in that list that pile for a while i almost showed it like three different times and i kept yanking it off and the reason i even know about the damn thing one one i know who bobby suarez is because he's a filipino filmmaker who uh, also did the famous film uh, Cleopatra Wong? Maybe the mm-hmm. o- at the time the only movie ever made in Singapore. Uh, the only uh, Singapore they don't have a film industry in Singapore, so one of the only movies they ever made was Cleopatra Wong, and he directed it. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, anyway, as part of Paragon Home Video's opening credits for years, they always had the uh, One Arm Executioner trailer on the front of their tapes. And amongst, it was, amongst a couple of other, uh, yeah. of and their it, catalog titles. And it's a real Paragon home video trailer. And what it, what it means, it's not the real trailer. It's just like cut together scenes yeah. from the, you know, <laughs> from the movie. Um, Done by an intern, probably. Yeah, probably done by, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the thing is, I remember seeing that in the 80s, like, ah, one of these days I'll, I'll get around to watching that. So the other day, thinking about this would be good for our, our, third. our, our third spot, we put it on and we watched it. And we were, me and Roger, were so taken with this little revenge-o-matic, this little Filipino exploitation movie we felt, oh my God, we're 
we're watching a genre classic. Yeah. We are absolutely watching a genre revenge-o-matic classic. And we decided that it was so special and we enjoyed it. We the, the experience of watching it, we had such a good time. There's problems with it, to be sure. But we had such a good time that we decided that it actually deserved to have the first spot. Yeah. It deserved to. Mm-hmm. It, like it, In watching it, I was like, this is like any other uh, like big action movie. Mm-hmm. This holds its own as far as I'm concerned. Especially if you're a student of revenge this movie absolutely falls into the best of the best of the classics of that genre status. It can sit in a pile with coffee. It can sit in a pile with Navajo Joe. It can sit in a pile with They Call Her One Eye. It can sit in a pile with Rolling Thunder. Uh, uh, Absolutely. Uh, Death Rides a Horse. Yeah, there's spaghetti Western versions. Some other uh, uh, kung fu things of it. Um, now, having said all those movies I just mentioned, one-armed executioner is definitely the least of them. <laughs> it's definitely on the bottom of that pile of, of movies I just listed. But at the same time, it's a really, really strong entry. And to give it a, even a bit of a more of a hat tip, when it comes to pace, its pace is so strong and so moves so fast that really only Coffee and Navajo Joe can compete with it when it comes to pace. Yeah, it is constantly, it's a freight train and it's constantly doing audience pleasing, I don't want to call them tropes, but like mm-hmm. standards. No, 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 well, they standards. are, tro- no, they, it absolutely, the, tropes is the exact word. Yeah. All right, because we've seen the story a zillion times I just before. don't want to call them tropes because that does that makes it sound bad when in the case of this movie in particular. Well, no, it, which, it, it's <laughs> how lovingly the tropes are done exactly. all right exactly that makes it so enjoyable How seriously they're taken and the pace of the film really you know from the moment that the movie starts it's like greyhounds running across the track the way it gets to its conclusion but what roger just said is actually kind of important because one of the things about the movie it knows what it is. It's a it's a revenge-o-matic, and it does go through the paces. It goes through the tropes that you've seen many, 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 many times before. But it's so charming mm-hmm. in the way it does it. It's so charming the way it recreates or it almost reinvents these pieces. Now, I will preface this episode on uh, One Arm Executioner with... Uh, the caveat that we will be using spoilers, I don't even like to use that word, all right? But we will be talking about the film and all of its plot machinations. It's funny, because if you'd asked me when the show started, would I be worried about spoilers? I'd be like, we're talking about movies that are 40 years old, 50 years old. If they haven't seen them by now, fuck them. But the reality is, is when we watch them, we do see certain things were, oh no, this could be a surprise. If you didn't know that this was going to happen, this would actually and, change your view of the film. And frequently, like the movies you're showing, you may have seen them, but I haven't seen them yeah. sometimes. And so they're a surprise to me. Yeah. And so it's so like- it'd be really special if it was a surprise. Um, yeah, so we, so, we pl- so we play it by ear, but we kind of err towards the idea that, oh, at the end of the day, even though we're not even recommending movies, we're just talking about them. You know, but if your viewing of it would be better if you, you know, uh, without knowing this- piece of plot information, well, then, you know, we err towards that way. On the other hand, I also feel that when it comes to certain subgenres, the the mechanics of them are so dyed in the wool that uh, it's ridiculous not to talk about the, the different tropes. The uh, familiar beats the that familiar, you always hit. The familiar beats and how they did in them, all right? 
you know, if we're talking about a Jaws ripoff, well, guess what? There's going to be some town. There's going to be some naturalistic monster that's in that town. There's going to be children in the water. Yeah, there will probably be uh, some sort of authority figure there who's responsible for it and somebody who's an authority on the given monster. And then at the end, they're going to fucking kill it (laughs) after it's eaten a whole bunch of people along the way. Now, how they ended up killing it in it, am I really spoiling it for you Right to say that they killed the monster? But how they did it compared to uh, how all the other Jaws ripoffs did it could be of interest. And to me, that's kind of how I come from the revenge-o-matic genre. Okay, so I'm going to read the back of the box, which again, this is a Paragon home video box, so don't expect much when it comes to the back (laughs) back of it. I'm going to probably have to explain. Although I have to say that from the front of the box, I was ready to see the movie. Oh, the, the, front post, of the-, the poster is awesome. But actually, almost all the shit that happens on the box happens in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And the one-arm executioner looks amazing in it. Okay, so, one-arm executioner. Big subtitle, Revenge is Sweet. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. His wife, brutally murdered before his eyes. His arm, chopped off as a warning. His job, his pride, his confidence gone. A young Interpol agent's rage for life has but one meaning. Revenge! Revenge! And revenge! <laughs> Running time, approximately 90 minutes. <laughs> Again, like, like, like the Paragon, approximately 90 yeah. minutes. It's not like we have the technology to tell you exactly how long it is. Hey, Jimmy! It how has... long is one-armed executioner? That's approximately an hour and a half. <laughs> okay, put that down. Just put it down! <laughs> gotta get those tapes out. Franco Guerrero, who's the star of the film, who's an action star in uh, the Philippines. Franco Guerrero plays an Interpol agent named Ortega. And part of the thing about Ortega is uh, he's trying to shut down uh, this drug dealer named Edwards, played by a guy named, a very interesting guy. It's one of those weird cheap movie performances where first you think the guy's not very good, but then the more you watch, the more, he is a little awkward, but then the more you get used to him, the more you kind of like him until finally, no, you actually, I kind of dig the guy's performance. Oh, you mean Nigel Hogg? Hog. Yeah, N- Nigel Hogg. Nigel, Nigel no, Hogg. And actually the credits are super sketchy on this film. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it took me a while to figure out, okay, who was that guy? Because he had my favorite line uh-huh. in the movie as a drug kingpin, uh-huh. which was, quote, Everybody wants to be the king of shit hill, but it ain't that easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Everybody wants to be the king of shit hill, but it ain't that easy. (laughs) That was the moment I was like, okay, that's my character. (laughs) That's the guy I love. Well, Nigel Hogue, okay, Edwards, he's a pretty terrific bad guy. First, you kind of think he's fat, but then you see him walking around in these Speedos, and you're like, oh, no, he's not fat at all. He's got like a kind of like... What would be like somebody else's head? Well, he's got a fat head. Yeah, a fat head. He's got a fat head and he's got a fat neck. And then he pulls it back and he's kind of ripped. I'm like, dude, he's got better abs than I do. He's almost (laughs) ripped. He's one of those almost ripped white guys. Yeah. Like a bear of a... And he has kind of an Elvis almost kind of quality, like a seedy... Well, you compared him perfectly to Joe Namath. Was yeah, it yeah. Jo- was it Joe yeah, Namath? I said, I said, well, he does look a little bit like Joe Namath. Like like Joe Namath's like sleazy older brother. We call him Ernie Namath. Yeah, Ernie right? Namath. Uh, I mean, but who he really looks like, to tell you the truth, is he really looks like the missing Mitchum kid. Yeah, because he actually yeah. looks a bit like... Yeah, Robert, with that chin and the kind yeah, of nose. The, exactly. So The, the lips that are kind of overly curled. Yeah, so there's Christopher Mitchum, and then there's uh, Jim Mitchum. Yeah. And he really looks like the middle brother yeah, kinda, between the two Mitchums. Kind of has a nasty Mitchum mouth. Yeah, Nigel Mitchum. Yeah, Nigel Mitchum. <laughs> Nigel Mitchum. But that's a weird name. 
That's a cool name. I'm going to write that down. Oh, that's a good name. Nigel Mitchum. Okay, if you see a movie with Nigel Mitchum, you'll know yeah, where I got it This is where it happened. This is this very this is moment. The origin. The Big Bang right here. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. And an embryo. The All Nigel right. Mitchum character was born. The Nigel Mitchum. Perhaps the most famous character in cinema history. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like he was a like a sheep. Yeah, the, yeah. It's like you were fucking a sheep. One of the sheep. One of, one of the sheep from Rage, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Bleeding out of my nose, slobbering all over, just drooling. But um, so Ortega is uh, dealing with his boss, who's actually played by Leopoldo uh, Scolido, who is actually one of the. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he's one of the uh, uh, in the late '60s was uh, along with Fernando Poe was one of the big stars. Of Filipino cinema, he uh, is, uh, probably his most famous movie is, uh, at least for Westerner audiences, is a war movie, Raider, The Raiders of Letty Gulf, which is uh, directed by Eddie Romero, and he's the, he's the boss in this, and it, and it's cool because it's like he's you know very realistic, he's a very realistic guy, but with his like weird kind of clothing, his giant collars, and like they're about well, to go no, out and, it's really they're about no, to go out to a nightclub and do karaoke or something. I know it's real, it's it's really interesting what passes as professional wardrobe uh, for the Interpol of the Philippines. I bet that's real in the Philippines. No, no, I'm not making fun in of them. In 1981. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying it's ridiculous as far as like uh, movie production, but it, uh, yeah, they all look like they're going out to barbecues or, <laughs> or getting ready to hit the hit yachts or you go in a nightclub or a bender or a drug bender they or are something dressed very well it's like full-on like saturday night fever yeah yeah exactly <laughs> with like flowered shirts and like great cool uh, uh leisure suits yeah. with big wide open collars yeah, what happened to fashion? nobody wears dark colors everything is like white or light or teal you know <laughs> <laughs> so uh Edwards is the big drug dealer, and so Ortega's like, hey, look, let's quit pussyfooting around with these guys. Let's go them, let's, let's shake them up, and let's tell them that we're onto them. So they go and they do a big, they, they can't really bust the guy, really, but they just go to, to roust him, just shake him up. And it does shake up Edwards up. And Edwards says, okay, well, we'll, here's what we got to do. We got to hide this, and we got to hide that. But the number one thing we got to do is we got to make an example of that guy, Ortega, to teach overzealous Interpol, Interpol agents a lesson yeah. <laughs> of what can happen when you get too nosy. And there's a really nice kind of setup before this where yeah, you're right. his boss kind of runs a restaurant. Does now, he, no, it's not his boss. Well, he didn't, but you're right, though. But he's like but, another guy who was like an well, Interpol I'll tell you guy exactly, I'll tell you exactly whose what it wife is. was like, He's his mentor. Yeah, he's his mentor, and, he's his, his and mentor. that guy's wife, because he was in Interpol, with all the trappings of being a cop, mm -hmm. and his wife pulled him away from being it. She, We're talking about the mentor character. The mentor character. Yeah. And it's almost and, like he's who uh, Ramon Ortega, you know, could, could, be. Be, could be if he were to get married to Anne, his... Uh, yeah. um, or, or maybe he's already married to Anne. Yeah, he's already married. But the situation is, is like, this mentor character was a legend in his own time kind of Interpol agent. His wife said, look... That's it. If you want to stay with me, I don't want to be worried all the time. You got to quit. So he quits. This is the kind of job you do it until you die. Yeah, yeah. And he and he quits, but he opens up a big bar, big nightclub, nightclub bar that all the Interpol agents hang out. That all the Interpol agents <laughs> hang out at. No, it's just like the old movie where the cop quits being a cop and he opens a cop bar, yeah. and all the cops hang out. So Ortega's marrying this white blonde girl named Anne played by Jodie Kay, who's really charming in the film. She's great. And so they've just come back from America, where uh, Ortega met her parents. In and, San Francisco. In San Francisco. And now they've just come back to uh, Manila, 
and, and, and she's like, oh, no, I'm just, look, I had a great time, uh, Ramon meeting my parents, and I had a great time seeing them again, but I'm just so happy to be back in Manila. Yeah. And, um, and then the, the mentor character says something like, yes, you know, my wife wanted me to retire and uh, from the force, and I did. And now she's passed on, and I think what would have happened if I had stayed. But then I look around at this wonderful club and I go, hey, this life isn't so bad. What am I worrying about? It's a great moment. It's a really good moment. It's a really wonderful performance that guy gives. Yeah, that guy's giving, he gives a terrific performance all the way through the whole film. And I I don't have his name. So then uh, Ortega goes to the bathroom during this time. And so he starts talking to Anne and he's like, so really, are you going to be okay with Ramon continuing to be an Interpol agent? And Anne is like, well, what am I going to do? It's like, that's who he is. Yeah, you know? he is, uh, he is. I can't stop him. I can't stop is. him from doing that. And I don't want to stop him from doing that. And I want to stop him from being who he is. I, the, to take that away from him would be to take away his life. And, and She uh, stands by her man and who he is. And Jodie Kay, the woman who's playing it, she's not much of an actress, but you like her. She's a cool character and she's a cool person playing the character. Uh, in fact, there was a point in the movie, and I think it was a memory that happens later on when mm-hmm. they're together on the beach and, yeah, yeah. and he's remembering back. And I was watching it and I think I turned to you and I said... They are a real couple because the yeah, yeah, love yeah. that I'm feeling on screen feels real. It feels like they just took a camera out to Big Sur or something and shot a whole bunch of scenes or uh, probably Well, you actually asked me during the thing, on the, you go, are, are they actually married in real life? And I don't know the answer to that. But I it mean, felt uh, real. It felt real at enough. At the very least, it sounds like they might have had an affair and, when they were making the movie. And that <laughs> is that is the only thing necessary. Like you could have had a million other maybe better actresses mm-hmm. in that role. But what that actress did, what Jodie Kay did, was it actually made me feel the love between them. And, but you so know, that so that when the ultimate tragedy comes, mm-hmm. it hurt. Well, and it here, hurt bad. Well, here's the thing about that, though. Yes, everything you just said is true. But you said that from her very first scene. Oh, yeah. You just liked her. You just liked her there right from the beginning. Something, well, <laughs> one, it was that she stands by him. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she's just absolutely head over heels, in love with him, does not want to change him, wants him to be him. And like you said, the two actors are sexy together. It's both romantic and sexy. And, and I think a- the reason I felt that from the beginning was mm-hmm. partly the way that she was looking at him in those early restaurant scenes. Like yeah, She yeah. was just looking at him like adoringly, mm-hmm. even. And I found him to be completely attractive in a kind of William Peterson way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James that, Conn kind that's of That's what you said, yeah, exactly. I was looking yeah. at him, I was like, oh, it just reminded me of that kind of, uh, mm-hmm. the way that he had those sort of, uh, I don't know what kind of, what you call that jacket, the, uh, that's kind of cut off. Well, the, I love, look, I love- He's got all that William Peterson clothing from like To Live and Die in LA. Yeah, well, I love <laughs> his- uh, his color choices of, of, of red and black. Yeah, he's way, got, yeah. <laughs> uh, right from the very beginning, he's always like juggling these cool outfits that are like red and black, and like a, re- a red sweater with a black leather jacket on top of it. Well, he's wearing all those kind of like tight red and black clothes in the beginning, yeah. and then he loses his arm, mm-hmm. and he's got to walk around for the rest of the movie and convince you that he's lost his arm. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, he's doing, you know, all sorts of Kung Fu and he's mm. jumping from, you mm. know, tall buildings like on, or he's jumping from like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the, a rooftop under the ground with his uh-huh. arm tied behind his back yeah, underneath yeah. his clothes uh-huh. and he's pulling it off. Oh, he completely It's convincing. It I mean, it is absolutely convincing. No, you're right. Actually, he wears a bunch of different kind of long, almost like safari outfits, yeah. you know, for a while. But, but, but there actually is a point that when he actually goes back to his red and black Ensemble. It's like he's found himself again. Yeah. Now he's Inspector Ortega again. The color of blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
So anyway, Edwards uh, sends a bunch of guys over, including this one guy, uh, Jason, played by this fat pig named Peter Cooper. Oh my God, that guy <laughs> delivers. Bear that. of a man. Yeah. All right. The John Mullius character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they, they- John, who is a lovely, kind gentleman. Yes, exactly. Compared yeah. to this dude. Let me just rephrase that. Okay. <laughs> Not so much that he is the John Mullius type, but I can imagine John Mullius writing this character. Oh, right? completely. Yeah. The Jason <laughs> character is definitely a John Mullius Millie-esque-esque character. Yeah. Millie-esian? Millie-esian? Millie-esque. <laughs> there you go. Millie-esque. Um, so these bastards uh, show up at the house, and they uh, 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 tie everybody uh, tie everybody up, gag everybody, cut the wife up for a little bit, torture her, shove a samurai sword into her heart in front of him, and has he scream, No! God, that, and, and may I just say, yeah. that scene was so well and competently handled, because yeah. the, just the going back and forth, you know, first from these kind of mm-hmm. brutal wide shots and getting closer and closer into those extreme close-ups to the point where mm-hmm. he runs her through yeah. with the sword and that crazy close-up of Franco Guerrero as he screams yeah. and goes into camera. And I just, I felt my skin curdle in that moment. And then it, it was so intense. And then like, I mean, look, I've seen that scene a zillion times before. So have I. And you have, and you have too. That's I why I was unprepared for it to be effective. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think where it actually takes a turn, where it's not just the same old scene that we've seen before, just setting up the plot, that takes it even more into like a, a Straw Dogs, Peckinpah-esque level is after they kill Anne, it's that guy Jason's laughter yeah. that kind of goes on for almost a minute yeah. as it goes on, as it has this like really well done montage about, you know, this guy's life crumbling as this laughter is like amplified like yeah. for, Great seeming, sound design. for seemingly in a minute. That's where it gets Peckinpah-esque. Yeah. And the pace de resistance is to uh, uh, cut off Inspector Ortega's arm. Cut off his left arm and, uh, and, and he could kill him, but no, 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 no. Just like they say in, in Brian De Palma's Wise Guys. We could kill them, but if we do that, what have they learned? <laughs> <laughs> so they're kind of taking a wise guy attitude. Uh, we could kill Detective Ortega, well, but then, you know, he hasn't learned anything if it's we even, kill him. <laughs> it's even more than that. They call a doctor. They call some lame doctor to cauterize yeah. the wound and dump him at a hospital. Yeah, exactly. And so they've they've patched him up enough that he's not going to bleed to death. Yeah. And they throw him at the front door of a hospital. See, so every day for the rest of his life, he'll know he should not have fucked with Edwards. Exactly. And he has that moment where he wakes up and he's not sure if it's all real. Oh, that's a really good scene. He reaches over and he feels that his arm isn't there. And that's when he realizes that Anne isn't there either because it's all real. And Uh then he has the same scream. And it's so painful. Oh, my God! Yeah, oh, my God! Yeah, it's, and it's literally done like tough guys don't dance style. No, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like other people make fun of that. We don't make fun of uh, Ryan no, O'Neill and tough guys a, don't that's dance. That's a real emotion people have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but re- it, it doesn't have a like. Oh my god! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, we're literally describing a movie. You probably feel, except for the uh, arm cut off part, that you probably feel you've seen done a zillion times before, and you have, but. This production just like it's it's heart and it's Keones are right in the right right place, and Bobby Suarez is a really effective filmmaker. There is uh, there's fantastic shots in this film. Uh, it has a great rhythm and a great energy. Uh, there's 
there's good lighting. It's, it, you know, it falls into the same kind of category that we've talked about on some of these movies that works pretty good, where, one, this actually, for a Filipino movie, actually has a pretty decent budget. I think Franco Guerrero is actually a big enough star there that this was like a... It does everything that a big Hollywood movie would do. They've got the helicopter scenes. They've got the mm. boat scene. They've got the helicopter chasing the boat scene. And mm. like as good as any Bond movie, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 um, no. No, the helicopter chase scene looks like the Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry helicopter car chase, except with a done with a speedboat. Yeah, it's incredible. So uh, what ends up happening with the character is... Uh, his life is over, or as far as he's concerned. He, he, he blames himself completely. He, he's the one that got his wife killed. There's nothing he can do anymore. He's, he's, he's weak and he's helpless because they've cut his arm off. Uh, he'd kill himself before he'd become a, some clerical clerk all right, uh, in Interpol. So he just decides he's going to drink himself to death and become a bum. I actually think they did a good job in this, and you can maybe say it goes on too long, but that's, it's part of their commitment to his downfall. One of the things I like about it is when he first goes to the bar and he meets the prostitute, who I actually thought would have a bigger part in the movie, because mm-hmm. she's actually a pretty cool character. Yeah, and, and that she actually she recognizes actually, his goodness. No, takes, I thought she was going to be like Linda Haynes in yeah. Rolling Thunder for a second. I thought yeah. she was going to— They like, played against that. Yeah. They pushed against that. She was cool. Uh, but the thing is, uh, you're wondering— is he like Charlie Rain and Rolling Thunder, like where it's like, oh no, he's gonna go to the bad guy's bar, and he's gonna pretend to get drunk with the prostitute, you know, just to kind of you know, get the lay of the land, just to integrate, and, yeah. yeah, and it just kind of you know, no, 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 he's he's a loser, <laughs> no, 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 this is not a this is not him going undercover, this is him being a fucking loser, yeah, and he's just getting drunk it's and throwing his Zahuichi, life away, like yeah. the, and he's just like living in the gutter, yeah, and eventually his old mentor really kidnaps him from the gutter. And takes him <laughs> way fucking far away away. To his, like, secret his, camp. His, his, secret, his ranch. His secret lair, all right, <laughs> somewhere in the forest. This is what I've been really doing. Yeah. This is what the restaurant pays for. <laughs> and he's like, okay, so enough of your self-petting bullshit. Uh, you can't get revenge uh, the way you are. However, we're going to teach you how to fight. We're going to teach you how to do everything you can do. And you're going to get your life back. And enough of this feeling sorry for yourself. And so he, uh, you know, like a proper Kung Fu movie, starts putting him through the paces. And But not not just a proper Kung Fu movie, but a proper one-arm Kung Fu movie, which yeah. that is its own genre. It's basically based on, it, the, on the Jimmy Wang Yu films. In yeah. fact, that guy who's teaching him, mm-hmm. th- there's this one kind of teacher character who's really mm-hmm. almost, he's a non-speaking part. He's yeah, just yeah. some guy who's there. The way he illustrates how to do the moves, oh, the one art moves, and how he keeps his eye on uh, Ramon Ortega. Yeah. He, the, he keeps his eyes on him, but he shows him as he's doing it. And he's showing the audience in those scenes. And I've- You really ra- responded. I've rarely, I've rarely been instructed so well in how these moves would be done. Yeah, it's, it's really, I have to in say, I've- se- Talk about scenes I've seen many times before. Yeah, all yeah. Right. I know you've got, shot yourself. Yeah, yeah. Guy <laughs> going through a training, all right, uh, is one of the scenes I've seen the most of any scene in my life. Uh, I've never seen it. You, you were right to point that out. Because in the movie, the, uh, the teacher who's hiding one arm behind his back, he'll go and he'll fight a guy. And he'll block him and he'll, and he'll land the blows. Shows him how he can win yeah. with one arm. So I don't he, need one arm. I, don't need, I only need one arm. Yeah. And so he does it at full speed. And then after he's done, then he shows the impact points. You see, this is how I did it. Here, here, mm. and here. So how did I do it? I did it this way, this way, 
And, this and then way. you can track later on in the movie how he's fighting Absolutely, with, the, with yeah. that one arm technique. Now, one of the things that was actually kind of interesting uh, in following uh, Hong Kong films going into the later 80s, they started moving away from martial art, primarily films, into the more John Woo, Chow Yun Fat, uh, you know, gun movies. Yeah. So now, for two seconds, they were starting to call that genre gun fu. <laughs> but then the guys, uh, Toby Russell, Ken Russell's son, and Rick Baker, not the makeup effects guy, but the Hong Kong martial art experts out of Britain, started a magazine called uh, Eastern Heroes, and they dubbed that genre heroic bloodshed. Yeah. And so it started becoming known as heroic bloodshed. However, the way they teach it in one arm executioner, I think you can officially call it gun foo. Because <laughs> it's all the acrobatics and stuff that you are known to seeing in, in martial art movies, but just added with a gun. <laughs> and so he's doing leaps and, and, and somersaults and this and that. And he can fire at the slightest sound yeah. and, and hit his target. And I got to say... Not expecting this. That training sequence was as much fun as any training sequence I'd ever seen. It was just, it was just such a blast. Tight. And it's so well shot. And the more fantastical his training gets, and the more he pulls it off, the more exciting it is. Because you can't wait to see him take on everybody. Yeah, and you feel a kind of crescendo towards the conflict with the yeah. villain coming. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, throughout that scene. Other as opposed to just being a whole mm -hmm. bunch of moments strung together but when he actually just does a backward flip all right and then like in the middle of the flip he hits two targets with his gun oh i was i was jumping out of the chair yeah. all right that was so exciting like, oh and my now God. you're ready yeah yeah now you're ready <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but one of the things that's really nice about the movie is it knows what it is but it actually takes franco guerrero seriously and it takes or uh, detective ortega seriously or inspector ortega seriously because there's that moment when Ortega is finally starting to like commit to the training and he's finally starting to, you know, shake off his self-pity and shake off his guilt a little bit. And then this mentor shows up. Ah, so you decided to join the living again, I see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we've, we, we felt that and we're happy for him that he's like, you know, he's, he's, he's crawled out of the, he's crawled out of the gutter. And then mayhem ensues. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, so basically, all these different story points or the story points you expect to find in a Revenge-O-Matic, and it, it hits them all perfectly. And not only does it hit them all perfectly, it, all, it adds its own little special shine. Now, one of the last things before I get to the, to the third act is the movie has, a, is, has two jumping off points. It's definitely jumping off from the Jimmy Wang Yu films, the uh, first, his first films with uh, Shang-Chi, which is the one-armed swordsman, and then his own directed movies. Uh, the one-armed boxer and master of the flying guillotine. But it's also obviously has seen Rolling Thunder. Well, it has to have. Yeah, exactly. And frankly, I think part of the seriousness of the movie comes from the Rolling Thunder. Which is almost overly serious by comparison. This movie almost yeah. finds a kind of, frankly, Hollywood balance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there is this Rolling Thunder quality, especially to the masker scene, yeah. for sure. The masker scene. But also to him in the hospital bed and to learning how to uh, uh, reload his gun with one arm. You yeah, know, which, I, was, which was a good little trick they was, figured out. It's really cool. And I especially like how he kind of cocks it with one hand. Oh, no, like, that's awesome. That's terrific. Now, here's the thing about the third act. 
It turns into a Werner Herzog movie. Yes, it does a little bit. Okay. (laughs) While I was watching the movie, I was thinking this is where the film is having a misstep because it's, it's kind of hit all of its bases just perfectly. And then it gets, now it should be bringing the whole baby home when it comes to like assaulting the main bad guy's lair, his island or his lair or whatever it is. All right. Uh, the, The assault of the fortress. Uh, Okay, now you bring it home, you wipe out all those guys, and you kill the guy. Okay, now this is the part when the movie starts getting a little windy and starts whatever. But then, now having seen the film all the way through, yes, it does get a little windy, but it seems to be kind of going on its own, and it knows what it's doing. Uh, So, because it starts following the big guy who killed his wife, Jason, and then Edwards as they try to escape through this jungle. Yeah. And, okay, you just said it. Yeah, he's... It's, it's as if they hired Werner Herzog <laughs> to, shoot. to shoot second unit. He is a pig, and so therefore <laughs> he must slog through the mud like a pig. <laughs> and it was like, Werner Herzog watched the entire movie up until that part and said, okay, as far as I'm concerned, forget Edwards. <laughs> I'm making Jason the main guy. <laughs> it's Jason's story. From here on, in the, Bobby Suarez can deal with the one-arm executioner all he wants. I, this is Jason's movie, The Fat Henchman. I'm making the movie about the journey of degradation of the fat henchman who's like a pig. And I will put him through the mud like the pig he is. And we will enjoy his degradation. But the degradation that we enjoy is the degradation of us all that was a little like probably more like michael curtis but <laughs> but yeah Werner herzog i think the, the sentiment wise it was like her sentiment wise it definitely definitely was because he would definitely be like you know he he must become stuck in the mud for the for nature holds on to him and strangulates him and holds him down <laughs> and then the movie must become held down as well there's one other moment which is when when nigel when edwards Gets his final like you know they they it looks blow like a, up the boat but I see and I think you saw no I saw it too. no it's a, it's a, it's a it's a Edwards misstep. dives to out of the boat it's a misstep all right because uh look I was thinking they should have just wrapped things up but part of the reason they're not wrapping it up is because they have a big action sequence yet to go which is Edwards trying to escape on the on the uh, on the speedboat with the one arm executioner following him uh, in a helicopter throwing grenades you know at him. And finally, it has a situation where he drops a grenade, lands in the boat. Edward goes, oh, my God, jumps out, and then the boat blows up. So we watch it. I mean, he jumps up because it's actually happening. He, <laughs> yeah. The actor actually has to jump out of the boat before yeah. it blows up. All right. That's, that's why he does, because it makes sense. <laughs> you don't want to blow up the actor. But the way we're looking at it, no, Edwards is just floating around in the water. All right. He, he, he didn't blow up. It would have been easy enough to cut to the boat just exploding. And we would have assumed you... But we watched him get clear of the boat. And then he even says, okay, let's turn around and get Edwards uh, in, the, in, the, in the helicopter. But then it ends up he has his final thing with the fat guy, Jason. And now I'm expecting him to go get Edwards. But then the music starts playing and you know that the We're mo- done. Yeah. You know that the movie is working as if Edwards is dead. Well, here I've thought about this and I was thinking. I mean, I mean, but like, I mean, look, the one I'm executioner even says my work here is done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think I think that to director Bobby Suarez, philosophically, 
Edwards isn't really revenge. Mm-hmm. Like he's just a businessman. He's just a guy. He's the facilitator. He's just some white dude like, on the on the island. <laughs> he's just a Mitchum brother. What we... <laughs> the guy who ran the sword through his wife. Yes. The the pig who like killed his wife, and and even up to his death. Is gloating over it yeah. in death. How do you feel? Not as good as it felt rubbing that blade through your wife. <laughs> to, you know, to Bobby Suarez, to Bobby Suarez, that's the villain. Yeah, true revenge. You know, is, is taken there, and, and to, to him, that's enough. There will it, always be a Nigel Edwards in the world in the Philippines. That's okay. the problem. Maybe that's the commentary. Nigel Edwards. That's a good. Yeah. This Nigel Hogg. Did okay. I call him Nigel Edwards? Yeah, I like Nigel Edwards. Right. You're gonna write that one down too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look, I wish I didn't have a question mark thinking that he was gonna go back and get Edwards later, but his kind of slow walk, taking a bullet with each, you know, his slow approach to Jason as he just shoots him one by one, you know, gets constantly moving forward on him. That works great. That's well, terrific. There's a commentary going on mm-hmm. about um, American imperialist influences in the Philippines at that time. Mm-hmm. It's almost on display in the background of every shot of the police, which <laughs> yeah. is which are these pictures, mm-hmm. paintings mm-hmm. of Imelda Marcos. Yeah, in all federal buildings, yeah. Yeah. And so... I mean, wh- one... Painting of her looking at us as if she's almost like a fourth character in the movie. <laughs> Constantly throughout it. I mean, there's there he's definitely making a point yeah. about uh, the corrupt influences that are going on in the Philippines at that time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's almost like Edwards gets away or doesn't get away. It doesn't matter because there's always another Edwards to step into his place. <laughs> that might be the Philippine attitude. Whereas the guy who ran his sword through your wife. <laughs> and guy, laughed. And laughed. That guy's gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That guy's gonna die. And laughed in a sound designy kind of way. In a creepy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, one armed executioner is a powder keg. It just delivered like dominoes. I'm a big uh, a Bobby Suarez fan. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing even more films with uh, with him and Franco Guerrero. I, one I think I have in my collection is one with, a, a, with with Christopher Mitchum. Christopher Mitchum, John Philip Law, and Franco Guerrero called uh, American Commandos. And by the way, Edwards is in that one as well. Well, um, I dug up an old review mm-hmm. uh, by, a, actually, a, it seems like a recent review, by my favorite uh, uh, critic, uh, Franklin Browner. Uh-huh. Uh, I have to read it in the voice of uh, Bill Margold. Bill, Mar- Bill Margold. Bill yes. Margold. <laughs> because you've been reading me all of these uh, Bill Margold and, Jim Sheldon reviews, reviews. and uh, you know you've been sending them to me, and you've you've had this project you're working on, and you're kind of climbing inside of their heads. I keep hearing his voice, and so when I was reading this review, mm-hmm. I was writing this review, I uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't help but do it in the voice of someone else, uh, uh, Bill Margold. Bill Margold. One may be unexpectedly lured into believing that this 1981 Revenger is a Grade C exploitation quickie. But it's truly every bit as good as the best big-budget early 80s studio action thriller. But it's only budget that separates the two, because all the story mechanisms that make a Hollywood movie a Hollywood movie are here, on full display, with Franco Guerrero taking the place of, say, the virile James Caan, and Bobby A. Suarez taking the reins of, instead, say, Michael Mann. The resulting production is as badass, if not bad-asser, if there is such a word. (laughs) It is the opinion of this critic that Jody Kay as the love-struck Anne, could be cast in either production. She is that wonderful. (laughs) The 
well said. <laughs> and I can't remember that. And was, she could. She could have been in a Hollywood movie version of this. She could have been in this. No, and she's as great in both. No, and I, and, I'm remembering actually as we watched the movie. You kept pointing out different Michael Mannisms. Oh, the whole, well, one, the wardrobe feels like it's right out of Miami Vice. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. watching Miami Vice in some ways. And yeah. the locales, yeah, yeah, you know, don't don't right. hurt that at all. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, it completely helps that illusion. Plus, the movie is, like, very well, like, very solidly made the way... Mm-hmm you know, constructed the way Michael Mann constructs well, things. Way, I would just say Michael Mann probably has a bigger budget and more <laughs> and, and resources, but man, Bobby Suarez delivers. Yeah, well, not only that, I would actually say that, you know, I think the weakest part of Thief is like the the taking the villains. Yeah, which uh, was compound. the same which was the same year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, but uh, actually the you know the the taking the villains compound and one armed executioner is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Which mm-hmm. is uh, you know one of the reasons like when you look at Thief and you look at this, it's like there are similarities to be, you know, drawn from the two and and the look of the movie though the the eye of the director mm-hmm. yeah. as you see oh it's it. right there I, I was you know i was saying yeah michael mann and every now and then i would say tony scott and every you know it was like uh and there's just like it a, was feeling slick like and that. there's a cutting style there's a cutting technique well, but look there's, there's also a commitment to kind of a hollywood deliver for the audience style yeah, no, like you're well getting said. you're getting an absolute revenge thriller but it's there's nothing that isn't like uh, out of the reach of a general audience that's very, very well said. And look, part of look, but the reason we're so enthusiastic about the film is just one of those things where um, I thought I had seen all the great classics of this type of genre, and I knew about this movie. I've known about this movie since the '80s, since seeing the trailer and everything. And I, like I said, I know who Bobby Suarez is, but to actually finally get around. Part of the reason we're even doing the show is to get around to watch something like this and actually, oh my God, this is a classic. This is a grade Z exploitation classic. Yeah. And it and it's and it sits right on the shelf with something like Miss 45, mm-hmm. which is probably the closest in its year range. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, uh but it's you know, it, it sits on the shelf with Navajo Joe and Coffee and Miss 45 and all, all those really terrific movies. And we just kept looking at each other. Oh wow, we found a you know this yeah. like, or like a Mad Max. It's like or something this isn't like that. a number three movie. This is a number one movie. Yeah, we, like, it was. This it, is the main event. No, we were so enthused to you know find a little uh, diamond sitting in a trash can. Yeah. <laughs> Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Roger and I are back, except joined this time by the lovely Gala Avery. Hello, Gala. Hello, Quentin. Hi, Dad. Hey, Gala. How's it going? Since really I good. Saw you earlier <laughs> <Since> today, <laughs> really great. Um, you know, it's so funny when I was watching this movie. My dad actually walked by my room and he's like, "Oh, okay, you're watching the one-armed executioner. What do you think?" And I'm like. This is awesome! Like, <laughs> Which I was like, okay, we're in the right reality. CERN hasn't fucked this one up. <laughs> this movie is 
like, okay, I, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know if I felt this way about a movie since we did the Demonoid episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, this movie's awesome. First off, it fires on all cylinders. Completely. The mm-hmm. opening gag with the little person in the telephone booth. I can't oh. believe you guys didn't bring oh, that well, up. You're, yeah, right. you're right. I forgot about it. Yeah. Actually, that, but that it's, worked. Well, out. there's so many like good things, and yeah, that happens yeah. in the first like three minutes or whatever. But that yeah. amazing like. Uh, but that, and that's that the galvanized connection. us. That right incredible now. actor too. Yeah, yeah he's actor. on the phone and he's calling basically because like the deal's gone wrong, and then he gets locked in the. He's like a snitch. Yeah, he gets yeah. locked in the booth and he gets thrown in the river or the ocean, and yeah, that's the, the whole ocean. catalyst for Ortega to be on the case anyway. And I think it actually sets you on the right tone for the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a little crazy, but really fun. Well, and also yeah. when they bring the the phone booth out, when they lift it out of well, the water, what, it, it looks like a coffin. Yeah. yeah. And it is it a does. coffin, basically. But not only that, though, that's when... His snitching tool was his coffin. But also... Yeah. The, yeah, well, well said there. But also, that let me know how well this movie was going to be because that collection of shots yeah. when Ortega was at the at the lake and uh, them taking the the phone booth out was just so well done. Yeah, they, they, that's there's when a storyteller at work here. There's a storyteller who's showing you yeah. picture by picture this what isn't you need a, to see. This isn't a get it done kind of movie. No, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. There's a nice uh, philosophy to the way the shots are cut together and and the camera placements. And you guys are right. Like there are a lot of quote tropes in this movie, but they're done so well. It's yeah. As you just said, it's not a get it done movie. They're not just like going from one thing to the next. Like, okay, we got to tick these boxes. We got to have like the training sequence. Mm-hmm. We got to have his like arm get cut off, blah, blah, blah. They're so good every time. Like I know his arm's going to get cut off, but the way that his arm gets cut off is mm-hmm. so like gut-wrenching. Like it's his own folly because the book that the crime people are trying to get doesn't even exist. Yeah. It was burned up. He's the one that comes up with the idea, oh, like, we'll just like Let's mess fuck with them. them. Yeah, Let's we'll fuck, fuck with, with them. them. And that's his <laughs> problem. Right. He yeah. messes You're with right. them. That's an important theme for this movie. Yeah, and he messes with them, and they take away. No, what's he's most kind important. of right to feel guilt. All right. Yeah. No, I, I wanted to fuck with him, and I got fucked. And the worst thing that could possibly happen. Yeah, and happened. paid for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and like I love Jodie Kay as yeah, Anne. Yeah, I, I think she's her. awesome. I actually believe this on-screen romance. Yeah, me too. Like yeah. when he's depressed, and they show that montage you that you're talking love. about at the beach. You feel true love. I understand, like why he's like. It's yeah. not just like some girl that like he's when... brought through no the, the final kissing scene that they have and that that flashback that's like a real she's kiss. either one of the most convincing actresses yeah. or now uh, look uh, uh, admittedly or it was it, it starts getting pretty corny when they have the flashbacks when he's remembering jody but i didn't mind because on one hand it's a sweet kind of corny and and the the, the rest of the movie is so grim it's giving yeah. you a break from the grimness but also like i like jody k so it's just nice to see her again yeah <laughs> and also i actually really like those flashbacks because okay when he gets his arm chopped off, yeah. there's that shot of like the magazine and his arm like twitching. Yeah. Yeah. That shot is so cool. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Reminded uh, me actually of um of Demonoid. I don't yeah. know. I just I love these like hand shots where like these arms are moving and stuff. It just it's so cool looking. And that's why I like those flashbacks. It's because those flashbacks are showing us what he's lost and mm. what those moments that he's lost. Like he could have been right now on the beach with Anne, if he just hadn't of mm-hmm. wanted to mess with those guys. If it hadn't mm-hmm. been his own pride mm-hmm. that lost him Anne, he could have been there right now. It's so believable that he's just down in the gutter. And then I love that he goes and gets taken by his mentor in the mm-hmm. car, just like mm-hmm. drunkenly stumbling around. Like just, abducted. Like abducted. Yeah. Like you think it maybe <laughs> like it's the bad guys head. abducting him. I actually him thought it was the bad guys yeah. at first abducting him. Yeah, and yeah. no, it's his it's mentor. It's like being uh, a Mooney being kidnapped and yeah. being deprogrammed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He says my favorite line in the movie, if you want revenge, you must earn the right to take it. Yeah, that's what and I said. Yeah. I wow. I thought that was like 
such a powerful line because you know what? He has to pull himself back up. He can't just like get revenge. Mm -hmm. He has to work hard to right his wrongs and to get the revenge. And I loved it. That spinning machine. <laughs> yeah, the spinning machine. That that's where. Let's the, build a crazy spinning machine. Yeah, to, the, the, to the carry you. bottles yeah. and stuff. You know, <laughs> uh, like with numbers, and you have to shoot the right number at the right time as it spins around you. That spinning machine is so cool. That's when the movie got even better. Yeah. Where it yeah. was like it kicked up to a a, a different gear with that because those shots were so well done. It was yeah. so clever. It's so dynamic. And when all of a sudden he's able to pull it off, it's like, oh shit. He's become a bionic gunman. Yeah, now. like he's actually he's earned the right to go take his revenge. It is gun fu at it's, that point. And it's awesome. I think and I love this genre of gung fu. I wish there was like <laughs> more movies that were just like the one armed executioner because it's so fun. How in the fuck is there not another return of the one armed executioner? I mean, I well, know. with uh Nigel Hogg as Edward still out there. <laughs> yeah, he's just swimming he's away. Still in the Philippines. <laughs> that guy. So I mean He, he might was, still be there now. <laughs> he's still in the lake. He's waiting for the call for <laughs> yeah. the one-armed executioner, yeah. return of the one-armed executioner. But I agree with Roger. I think, like, the true villain of this movie is the Jason character who has mm -hmm. that Joker-like laugh, <laughs> which is, like, I feel like well, he should be playing the Joker right now in this movie. With Edwards, it's just business. Mm -hmm. He's just a businessman. With that guy, it's... It's, it's personal. It's, he's a sadist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wants to hurt people. Mm -hmm. And, like, with or without Edwards, he's going to be doing that. So well, okay, did you find the... The slow disintegration of Jason through the yes, through the like he's like disgusting. with his first off his belly has been like punctured or shot at yeah, or yeah. something. So no, he's no, holding, he gets stabbed. With he the, gets stabbed. The, yeah, he's stabbed. Uh -huh. So that he's so like he's, holding his like bloody yeah, hold, gut, holding his intestines holding in his while, intestines he, while he wanders in, through while he the mud, crawls through the mud, Herzog style. And I love like as in Agiri, the Wrath of God yeah. or something. And I love how Edwards when he finally gets on the boat, which by the way has like that weird swastika on it. Yeah, I know. What is up with that? That's very normal in the East. He was just like showing everyone like I am a Nazi and like this well, is why I'm so evil so we know he's the bad guy yeah so we know he's the bad guy and then I love that like Edwards like when he finally gets the boat up and running after he's like told uh, mm -hmm. Jason like you're slowing me down that Jason starts to crawl the boat he goes ha ha and like kicks him yeah, off into the water yeah, you dumb sucker <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like <laughs> oh my god he just really is a dumb sucker at that point point. and I actually love that we're left with Jason and Ortega, because that's the guy that I want to see him get personally. Like, yeah, okay, if someone dies in a big explosion, like, whatever. Yeah, when it comes to revenge matic it has to be mano a mano. It's be personal. I'm looking you in the fucking eye Intimate. as I empty my and gun not, on you. And not yeah. only that, not only yeah. that, Jason raises his hands to show I'm unarmed, and Ortega gives him a gun. Yeah. And he levels the playing field. That's how badass our hero is, mm -hmm. is that he levels the playing field against his, like, arch nemesis villain mm -hmm. and still kills him. Yeah. It's just, it's great. I, I don't know what else I can say. It's amazing. I loved it. I had so much fun. That's all I want from a movie. I want to have fun. I want to be, like, cheering at the end. And I was. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you know, and just, and they just... The kind of surprise of it all just made it all the better. And just even, made it all the better. And even furthermore, I think this is a movie I could watch again and again and again and mm -hmm. still have fun watching it. Well, I feel that way about all those other movies I mentioned that I'm putting yeah. this one in the same list. I've seen, God knows how many times I've seen Coffee. God knows how many times I've seen Navajo Joe. Here's a new one on, on, on the list. And now I'm excited to see more Franco Guerrero movies because yeah. I think he was terrific in I it. I think he was amazing in it. And also just, I love the music in this movie. Oh, the music is, we didn't even talk about it. It's got a great black exploitation yeah. style. 70 soundtrack, a fantastic one. 
Okay, before we move off from this, uh, one of the things that the One Arm Executioner tape had, it had a whole plethora of Paragon trailers on the front that I have to announce. Well, boom, by the way, the Paragon uh, transfer was fantastic. It looked really, really good. Yeah, really, really beautiful transfer. And, the and tape, again, tape is held up. The box looks a little I don't know shabby, if I would call but... it a beautiful transfer, but that would almost be against what it was. All right. It was, well, a, there it were... was a good, strong transfer. It's of, a VHS-style transfer. Of a decent grindhouse prints <laughs> yeah this does not look like a you know criterion blu-ray that's no, not but, that's but not that, the point no, but that that would be to wash away the flavor yeah <laughs> yeah run it through the deflavorizing yes machine. exactly yeah you get you know uh, you, you you can't clean the hot dog cooker all the time you got to let some of that junk get on there that's what makes it a barbecue yeah. <laughs> okay so the trailer is in front it starts off with the horrible trailer for boarding house the only shot on home video splasher film of its day Remarkable for that reason, I guess. <laughs> Remarkably horrible. All right. Uh, the next trailer is for something, uh, a, a phony title called The Witching, but it actually is Bird Eye Gordy's movie Necromancer yeah. with uh, Orson Welles and Pamela Franklin and Michael Octane, which I've never seen. I never really have any desire to see it, but it has one line that I've always I've heard. Every time I heard this trailer, that's always stayed with me is somebody talking about witchcraft and they go, Witchcraft is the only religion <laughs> that gives you something now in this life. <laughs> in this life. It's not promising you some bullshit in the afterlife. I, no. I love that line. It gives you I something like now. That's true. And frankly, as weird as the movie looks, <laughs> that line reading is very effective. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's the, you know the truth when you hear it. There's the Molly and Lawless John uh, trailer again. Then there's the the one arm executioner trailer on the front of that. Yeah, on, on the one armed executioner. On the one armed executioner <laughs> tape is the one arm executioner trailer, which we fast forward through, but I remembered it before from before. Then there's the famous Gates of Hell trailer, which is yeah. how I even knew Gates of Hell existed was seeing it on the Paragon Home video. And then there's the Hotwire trailer with a uh, Strother Martin and George Kennedy. Oh, and also there was a uh, uh, um, Just Before Dawn. That's right. The other George Kennedy. Yeah. Uh, Slasher movie directed by Jeff Lieberman, who did uh, Squirm. And that is the wonderful trailers that are before the exciting find of One-Armed Executioner on the Paragon Video Productions Library. Well, everyone out there in podcast land, you're in luck because this movie is available on streaming. It's even on YouTube for free. And not only that, but there is an entire channel dedicated to Bobby Suarez's work. It's called Bass Films, B A S. F-I-L-M-S. I'm really excited because I managed to actually pick this one up on VHS. Mm -hmm. I picked it up in a lot for $99.99. My lot included hostages, which mm -hmm. I did not have. Uh, we no, did well, you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't, I couldn't find the other yeah, Paragon. You, you couldn't find it before, I couldn't right? find it. I actually found it in a lot with, uh, wow. with arm, one-armed executioner. And the third movie that was in my lot was Umberto Lanzi's um, Violent Protection, which I think is also called Violent Naples. Oh, yeah, Violent Protection. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh -huh. uh, with John Saxon. So I got those three tapes for $99.99. So uh, All three Paragon. All three Paragon. Oh, I actually wow. found a Paragon wow, lot. So you're I'm, growing your Paragon library. I, I never thought I was going to be so excited to go on eBay and find a VHS tape. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw it, and when I saw Hostage, I went, <gasps> yeah, I like, because was like it's clicking. I was Because I've been looking for that one, so I was just really excited. Those are three actually very applicable. Applicable. Uh, yeah. that, that's a you could almost a do a whole episode on those three. That's a marquee. That's a that's a grindhouse marquee, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And 
welcome back and welcome to Blood City, our next film. This movie's from 1977, and the tape that we have is from Lightning Video. Yes, mm-hmm. which was which was a uh, uh, the more exploitation-y subdivision of Vestron, as if Vestron didn't already have exploitation. Yeah, it tapes. still has that Vestron lightning bolt theme going on. the The poster for this is great, and I had never seen this film, mm-hmm. but. Now that I know that it is effectively a mm. Westworld, I don't want to say... It's, it's a ripoff. It's a ripoff. It's a Westworld ripoff. Yeah. Now looking at the poster art on the front, mm-hmm. which is Jack Palance, like almost in an identical Yul Brynner uh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. pose, mm-hmm. and, and even at the tilted at the same angle. And then, like uh, uh, by the way, both this and One Arm Executioner were uh, uh, Eddie Branch titles. They were not uh, from the Video Archives collection. One Arm Executioner would be under the O in the exploitation section. Not not before the A's and the numbers, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, uh, but Welcome to Blood City would definitely be under the W's in, science, in, in uh, horror science fiction. And that's exactly where it belongs. I'm going to read from the back. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Blood City, where sudden death is a way of life. Academy Award winner and perennial villain, Jack Palance, Ripley's, believe it or not, and Keir Dulea, 2010, the year we make contact. <laughs> Not 2001. No, no. No, just literally the last title that they did. They did. 2001. That's a million years ago. Let's do something more recent, like 2010. <laughs> <laughs> Star in this futuristic action film about a computer that controls the lives and brutal deaths of the people of a small western town. Welcome to Blood City, where newcomers are the town's slaves and the law, Blance, kills at the slightest provocation, where killing is exonerated and rewarded, and the person who scores 20 murders becomes immortal. This is Blood City, the town that is manipulated by a computer controller's sadistic whims. Each citizen is programmed to want, at any cost, to be ordained as the kill master. Come visit if you dare. You are welcome to Blood City. If you've seen the movie, that sounds like a word salad, all right? That includes a few buzzwords that you, you know from the movie if you've seen it. Yeah. But that is completely a word salad it, as opposed to a description. The mythology of this movie is what's great about it. Now, my, my problem with it, as we will go on talk, is it can't deliver a third act that lives up to the first two acts. Or the, just the setup in general. Yes. But the setup... And the first two acts and the mythology involved is fucking sensational. Yeah. If they delivered it all the way to the end, this would be a science fiction classic. <laughs> and I actually think the mythology, what one not only does it is it I think it's even more intriguing than the one in Westworld, and it's actually more plausible yeah. than the one in Westworld. For sure. Okay, go on with your Frank Bruner review. <laughs> yeah. This Westworld, I got to do it in the voice. Yeah, of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, get, yeah. <laughs> get your pipe going. Get your pipe going. Get the pipe. Okay. All righty then. I think I'm ready. Let me just adjust my ass a bit. <laughs> this Westworld ripoff succeeds while also blazing its own trail across the rocky range of mountains known as science fiction. With Jack Plants, the only actor wild enough to wrestle Yul Brynner to the ground and make him say beg. And the elegant heroine of genre cinema, Samantha Egger, at her most horny. There is a lot to like about 1977's Welcome to Blood City. But it's the unexpected roughneck performance by the usually flaccid Keir Dulea that surprises <laughs> above all. Turns out the guy has grit when given the opportunity in a character. And is keen to deliver by bullet or bare knuckles. That is so drastically my favorite Frank Bruner review. 
that actually tapped into William Margo. Yeah, I tried. That really, really did. Especially the, this time the, I tried. The, the, the horny Samantha Egger, that's exactly what he would have written at, at right on, by the way. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and we, and you know okay so there are two favorites of ours in yes. in, in, in this that I mean two favorites of the show rather yes, exactly which would one would be the great. Jack Palance. Yes. From our Uli Lamel. Uh, from our very first episode, our maiden voyage, you yeah. might say. And is he eating it up here again? He's <laughs> magnificent. He's having such a good time. And one of the things that's also interesting about this, um, it, I mean, it's interesting because apparently, you know, apparently the, 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 the tape came out after he had won the Oscar for uh, City oh, Slickers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where he was doing one-handed push-ups on right, stage. Right, yeah, is that exactly, him? yeah. But what's interesting, though, is the movie's a 1977 movie, but almost all the aspects of his character, Curly, that won him the Oscar for his, like, you know, slightly spoofing his his own persona in City Slickers, this is like the maiden go-around for that performance is in this movie. You know, and, and, and it's even played with the same kind of comic twinkle. Yeah. You know, uh, in his eye. But, I mean, his dialogue is fantastic. His, I mean, it, it's... When we watched the movie, we kept every every big scene with Jack Palance. We just kept talking out loud about like, look how fucking great he is yeah. in this. He's he's so charming. He's so enjoyable. He makes the entire concept come alive. Yeah, he's shown up to do this little programmer, mm -hmm. and he's bringing all of Jack Palance to the show, <laughs> and yeah. it's great. The story basically forget about where it starts, but the story gets going with Kirdulea from 2001 in maybe his best performance since 2001 and definitely the most his most animated performance since his Otto Preminger film A Bunny Lake is Missing yeah completely he's mm -hmm. unlike any other role he's done in this movie he's tough in this film well yeah usually when he shows up he's just this you know like you said he's this flaccid character whether it's in The Fox or it's in you know all the weird cheapy science fiction movies he does even, even like 2001 Strange he's New World flaccid. or something yeah it, but it, it works it's, it's, it works completely. as part of the uh, thing but uh he has a sense of fun and a sense of entertainment and a sense of uh, almost like a genre actor kind of performance that you just never see Keir Delay do before. And he really kind of pulls it off. But anyway, the idea of the movie is all of a sudden Keir Delea wakes up in the middle of some prairie, some rocky, westerny kind of prairie. And he's wearing some sort of a, uh, what looks like a, a futuristic prison outfit. He wakes up. He has no idea where he is. And then there's about four or five other people there. Almost all of them famous Canadian actors have been in zillions of Canadian movies. Yeah. All right. Uh, and so he wakes up and then uh, he's like, where am I? What's going on? And they're all, well, we don't know our names. We don't know anything. We all just woke up in this uh, Western landscape. The only thing that they have is a card with them. And the card lets them know that they're killers. And so what one person is saying, okay, you killed your baby. Uh, somebody else, you killed three people in a car crash. Uh, you killed two people doing this. You killed five people doing that. And other than that, they know nothing about themselves. But they know nothing about them. The only thing they know is that they're killers. Well, it, it's kind of important that Kier Dulea, you know, right at the very beginning, after everybody has sort of like come to this acceptance, well, we're one thing we know is that we're all murderers. And mm. then he tears up his card. Yeah, he doesn't read his card. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, tearing it up. He's sort of like, don't believe everything you read. Yeah. No, he already makes himself like the alpha dog. Yeah. He makes himself and the, the, idea the leader. That, of the idea that Kier Dulea is the alpha dog in this situation. 
is suggest bad casting, but it's not bad casting. He, he rises. He, he rises to the occasion. It makes me think. I wish Kier Delay had been given more roles like this. I, you know, I, look. I actually think it. It actually looks like Kier Delay and Jack Palance, especially. I think you get the impression that they really responded to this screenplay. Yeah, that they were really, really excited by the possibilities of of, of the screenplay. So these characters are walking along. Then some varmints, some Western varmints show up, take their boots, and then rape the girl that's with them, uh, Hollis McLaren from uh, uh, yeah. Atlantic City, mm-hmm. and the movie Outrageous. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jack Palance shows up, who's like this lawman. He's the sheriff of the town. He goes, well, I'll take you into Blood City. And while you're with me, ain't no one going to hurt you while you're in Blood City. And uh, he walks them in and he realizes that like everybody in Blood City, which is this Western town, they want to kill him. Chaotic Western town. It's a chaotic Western town where murder is just happening everywhere, but they can't kill them because they're under the protection of the law. Yeah. And you immediately start noticing a few weird uh, design choices, like these cowboys are wearing kind of strange uh, yeah. symbols on yeah, their- you've got you've got cowboys who are dressed up just like normal shopkeepers and the you know the extras- The background. Of a, we- <laughs> of a Western movie. But then you have these other people and you're assuming that like they're- an entire class of people That almost. they're sort of the contestants or whatever this is going on, where they all wear black cowboy outfits with, with a, a target- you know, uh, on like their red, back. Like a red plus sign. Yeah, yeah. it's like a target on their heart and on their back. And so now, um, I won't go through the, all, all the uh, the whys and the wherefores of the rules that the people of Blood City and our, our lead characters have to, have to play in. However, what you don't know while you're watching the movie, and I'm, frankly, I don't care for the conclusion that they come up with, but you don't know exactly what you're watching for like a long, long period of time. Is this some... Weird prison of the mind. Is this a prison that they're at? Uh, is this a game? Is this actually maybe a game for fun that they're all partaking in? Like it could be a it could be a total recall. You know the movie. The thing. movie's really good as long as you're asking that question. Yeah, yeah, it it, it absolutely is. Well, you know, the, as everybody goes into town. You know, you're you're either a like one of the slaves, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, you're you're a slave until you kill somebody, and you can only kill somebody if uh, you know yeah, yeah. if they legitimately come at you and you get them. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And it's, so there's like all these rules they have to live by, and so you get picked off right and left if you're one of those people. And the trick is to you know become mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. I don't know citizens, one of the people who wears black. Yeah, yeah. One of the black black suit people. Well, if you you will, if you're one of the black suit people. You can still die if you've once sure. you've killed twenty people. You become like, immortal. Now you become immortal, and now you get to be a shopkeeper or something yeah, like that. Shop, now you, you get be... to live there in, you know, in peace, basically. Yes, exactly. As a as a background character, and so I'm watching this, and I know that it's a you know a Westworld ripoff, but, but it's also doesn't it start seeming like especially at this point, like there's also seems like a little battle royale mixed into there with Jack Palance literally being the beat Takashi character. Yeah. Exp- Running the whole thing, but also explaining the rules to the uh, to the contestants as they go on, and then and they seem. It's funny because it's like to me, it's like they're either contestants or they're prisoners, or they're the third thing. Now it turns out they're the third thing, and that's the least interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it was actually a scenario. And and you know how much I love Samantha Egger now at this yeah, point. Yeah. Like uh, I, I'm, I think she's just the cat's pajamas. I yeah. just love her. And um, so when she showed up in this movie, I was like, all right. And then she has kind of a little bit of a thankless role. And then come the point, which is, I'm guessing, around Mm mid-movie, where she basically explains what the plot is and undoes all of the mystery of it 
I couldn't help but feel a little let down in that moment. Well, having, thought, having said that, Jack Palance, mm-hmm. you know, keeps it keeps it going. I think the movie goes for like about fifteen or twenty minutes before it cuts to Samantha Egger and her husband, who are like these computer programmers that are kind of you know programming this whole thing. The minute they cut to the computer programmers, the movie's never quite the same again. Yeah. All right. Be like, oh, that's what this is. Now, I will say, I don't like that they did that. I wish they had told the story without. I think you could. I think you could easily have told the story. I I know you can. I I know you can. You know, you could definitely have told the story without jumping out that way. It's kind of a bummer when they do. But I will give them some credit for it. They make that ultimately work. The the whole concept of the two married computer programmers. That's uh, the reason, that becomes the reason for the movie. Yeah. Which, uh, which is the one idea would, that's really better than Westworld in many ways. Yeah, I don't think they should have gone that way, but for them going their own way, they do make that part eventually work for them to some degree. So um, when I was watching this, almost the moment you popped out and we realized, I, I immediately started suspecting this is different than Westworld. This is a virtual reality of some kind. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I was equipped, being a prisoner fan, mm-hmm. <laughs> with Living in Harmony, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Western episode that is where they take uh, number six mm-hmm. and they put him into an, you know a Western re- reality, yeah. Harmony, this town that he cannot get out of, no mm-hmm. matter how much he tries. It's you know a, a parallel for the village yeah, itself, yeah. and what they're saying is, look, you can take the prisoner and you can do it in any genre. Mm-hmm. You can make a you know a, a show in a Western town, mm-hmm. and he would still be this character struggling like that. Mm-hmm. And they never break the reality until the very end. Mm-hmm. And actually, when they break the reality at the end of Living in Harmony, it's almost the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> even there, uh, even there, I almost wish that they would have just just let it be as the Western that it was. You know, I got to say- This I, weird, obviously not Western Western. Those are the things we don't like about the movie. What we like about the movie, aside from the performances, is- there's actually a minutia to the way that the Western tropes work in yeah. this science fiction world that are really, really clever, yeah. that are really, really cool. All the different breakdowns of how Jack Palance explains how this works versus how that works. And he is just chewing it up as he's doing it. Like, yeah. uh, he definitely doesn't make it boring. To me, there is a there's a slight plane of glass between me and Westworld because I just don't find it plausible or that all your gunfights are going to happen to be with robots. Well, what if you have a gunfight with uh, a real person? Well, yes, your gun doesn't work, but now you've just broken the illusion. All right, what oh, people break through windows and fly out of windows and, and no one sprains a wrist or nobody <laughs> twists their ankle. I, mean, I, just, I, I don't quite buy how you have a barroom brawl with uh, uh, with robots and like, nobody's <laughs> thrown through plate glass windows and no one got cut. That future uh, is coming, Quentin. Okay, but... There's nothing that doesn't really happen in the Welcome to Blood City world that I didn't buy. Yeah. The stuff that works, works so good that Roger's watching, I've seen this already, Roger's watching this, and I keep looking at him, and he's like, well, this is a science fiction classic, right? And I go, (laughs) don't get so caught up. Yes, it it could have been. It, it doesn't last all the way through, but I forgot how it doesn't last all the way through. And it doesn't just self-destruct. Like I said, it just kind of leaks away. But I'm telling you, the stuff that works in the first half really, really works. Uh, the f- ideas in it that work, work really great ideas. I think probably of all the films that we've done so far, 
This is the one that's begging an even better remake. Absolutely. This, this is, oh, this one could be remade in a hot, hot, hot. In second. a hot moment, this could be remade, and all the great things on Bad Out could be could be kept. I would change. You could what, do it as a series, even. I, I, it actually would be almost be better as a series. You know, um, you could do a, a Westworld ripoff series. Yes, you could. <laughs> yes, you could. And uh, whoever was going up against HBO would be happy to do it. This, yeah. this is welcome to Blood Cities for stars. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <Or> Showtime. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you think? What'd you think of Welcome to Blood City? So I watched this um, on April 3rd, and apparently on April 2nd, 2014, I watched Peter Sadzi's other film, I Don't Want to Be Born. I, like, barely remember that, but it was kind of weird almost watching that, like, to the day, like, so many years later. That's interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. What's I Don't Want to Be Born? I don't, it's another film that he did. Apparently, I just, like, randomly watched it. You know, I, I, I mean, barely I, remember I, it. I, 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 I know him from Taste of Blood of Dracula. All right. He's uh, like one of those hammer guys. Yeah, right? he's one of the hammer guys. Yeah, but I always remember the TV spot. Taste the blood of Dracula. <laughs> this picture has been rated M. <laughs> uh, uh, and he also did a Hands of the Ripper. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually wrote down better TV series premise <laughs> yeah, than yeah. anything. So that was like my thing. So I was thinking you could really develop because the idea of this movie, in my opinion, is extremely cool. Yeah. And yeah. bring back Samantha Egger and have her play the, the guy from Space 1999. Heard that role. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Barry Morris. Yeah, yeah she's yeah, now yeah. in charge of the place. Yeah, yeah. Like the premise is so cool that I couldn't help feel let down by the movie at certain mm-hmm. points. Yeah, one because of the reveal of like what's really going on. Because okay, like when he first rolls, like wakes up, and they all have the cards. I love that we don't know what's on his card. Yeah, like, yeah. We yeah, don't know right. if he's killed a hundred people and he's like a serial killer, or if he's killed no people. Like we don't mm-hmm. know. It's enough to make him reject his own supposed past. Yeah, and it's no, but he never read it though. Oh, did he not? No, read? he never read it. Uh, uh-huh, well, that's yeah. that's even better. I know it's way better. That's even that's even more of I am my own man. I mean, there is yeah. so much Patrick McGowan <laughs> in this. I would even say Kier Dulea even looks a little like Patrick yeah. McGowan because Patrick McGowan's whole thing in the Prisoner is like I am my own man. Yeah. I am I'm, not I'm, a number. I'm a free I am man. Not yeah, a number. For all you fans out there, I actually think it's Westworld meets Truman Show meets Battle Royale meets Total Recall. They right. even mm-hmm. at one point reference we have to bring him out of Recall. Did That's really? actually a line that they use. Well, then then somebody read Philip K. Dick. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So it's like heavily inspired by Philip K. Dick and Total Recall. No, it's almost like as if the, the film critic that comes in midway through Total Recall <laughs> kind of wrote the script. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and you have everything. Red Skies Above Mars. Everything. All right. But you will be lying there in a coma. <laughs> you will be a vegetable. <laughs> What's, more realistic? What's more realistic? That you're a construction worker or that you're an international spy who's gone to Mars to discover what... <laughs> <laughs> and you found your leading lady, sleazy yet demure. <laughs> Mr. Quaid, <laughs> I urge you to reconsider. <laughs> and I love Jack Plants in this. I actually think him being in this elevates the movie to watchable for me. I feel like if anyone else was in that role, I would have just kind of like lost interest in the movie because the premise is so good. And then you kind of get like, eh, like led away. It got a little boring for me, to be honest. I do think some of the scenes at the end, which I'm not sure if we're like giving away. No, or we're not, not giving away. Uh, are the coolest parts of the movie. Uh, I can't be specific on what they are, but I do think there are some really good nuggets of ideas. 
And I like Samantha Egger. She lights up the screen. When she injects herself into the story as the saloon girl, yeah. all right, that one scene is like the great Samantha Egger scene. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I, lo- I love how her husband like walks in on her basically fantasizing about her and- uh, Yeah, the Kier Delay. Kier yeah. Delay. Yeah. Like, well, and, as he's having his, her sex- his, Yeah, they're like- they're she's, having, into her, she's into the sex scene that she's She's into her, virtual, she's making, her yeah. virtual fantasy sex scene. Uh-huh. And her husband walks in and is like, this is pornographic. You have to stop. And she's yeah. like, Hello. And she's just like sucking on a pencil. <laughs> yeah, like doesn't even hear him. <laughs> to substitute for her husband. Gala, well, how did you watch this? Thing? So I actually watched a VHS rip on YouTube, which, by the way, the credit sequence has this really cool pan of like the titles. Was oh yeah, that? well that, that's oh, about we that. Loved well, it. it was shot, it was shot obviously in uh, uh, some kind of, Yeah, some yeah. Kind so of there was doing a, 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 a tracking, a little digi- uh, a, kind of a, a digital pan yeah, scan, a scan track where they yeah. they actually well, they went along the lines of the of the credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, that was actually my, one of my favorite things about the movie. I, I loved that credit sequence. But mm-hmm. um, I watched it on YouTube, but it's also available for Amazon on rent and also Tubi, T-U-B-I, has it playing right now. And my VHS tape that I got is a pan-Canadian video presentation. So I'm guessing it's a Canadian company. Mm-hmm. Um, and- oh, the company that made it. Uh, it's got a bunch of Canadian actors and some visiting uh, Americans in there. But there's definitely, you know, but the director is British. But there's definitely a, there's a British component in it, and one of the great British components in it is the score by Roy Budd. It's oh, got it's a fantastic. It's score. got a fantastic score. Roy Budd also did the score for uh, one of my favorite British crime movies of the '70s, uh, uh, Sitting Target. And uh, but, but Roy Budd is terrific, and this score is is yeah. is, is kick ass. Yeah, this it's was a, a great, this was a great score. So my VHS cost me $24.99. And shout out to Crazy Mike's video at 2230 North Reserve Road, Missoula, Montana, 59802, which is where my tape originally came from. I'm (laughs) Crazy Mike, and we've got it all on this speed down here at Crazy Mike's. (laughs) Fred Williamson is back, this time in a blind rage. Fred Williamson, the way you like him. Blasting and fighting his way across the screen like you've never seen him before. He's got to get back 15 million of the government's bucks ripped off by five of the world's baddest dudes in the most explosive heist of the century. And all five are blind. Fred Williamson as Agent Jesse Crowder out to foil the perfect heist in blind rage. Check him out. He is one badass mother. Blind Rage, co-hit one-arm executioner, will be playing September 17th and 18th on glorious 35mm film at the new Beverly Cinema, 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. For further information, go to thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema, always on film! Okay, we're back for our third and exciting movie. This was... A treat and a half, to say the least. The uh, movie is called Blind Rage. It's on the MGMUA uh, home video line, the big square box with the cool uh, uh, credits uh, on the inside flap. This is deceptively a Canon film release. A Canon didn't make it, but they picked it up as a, as a negative pickup. And uh, I'm going to read the back of the box. Blind Rage. Brace yourself for blistering kung fu action and for a devilishly daring plot to steal $15 million. 
The U.S. government has transported this fortune in cash to a secret bank vault in Manila for use by anti-communist nations in Southeast Asia. Five determined criminals have their eye on the loot, and all of them happen to be blind. Amazing Anderson, a sightless magician, the blind matador, his eyes gored by a bull, and hard-bitten ex-syndicate hitman were blinded in clashes with the mob. A sultry theme fatale trains them step by perilous step for the heist. Being blind, the band is suspected by no one, and with their combat expertise, incredibly developed senses, raw courage, and most of all, blind rage, they just might pull off the crime of the century. Filmed on location in Hong Kong, Las Vegas, Tokyo, Manila, Mexico, and Los Angeles. Blind Rage stars Dervell Martin. That bad Dervell Martin. <laughs> Leo Fong, Leela Hermosa, and the great Fred Williamson as Jesse Crowder. From the treacherous underworld of the Orient to the climactic rooftop battle in Los Angeles right by a International House of Pancakes sign, the film is a blistering blast of relentless fury. Blind Rage. Located under the bees in the exploitation section. Okay, that's a way to describe Blind Rage to some degree or another. That's kind of a little highfalutin way. Uh... The real way to describe <laughs> blind rage is it's the Doberman gang. But instead of Dobermans, it's blind guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it follows the entire structure of the Doberman exactly. gang. Yeah. Exactly. Beat, beat by beat. Until it gets to the last half hour. When it transforms. Or 20 minutes. Yeah. And then it turns into the killing with blind guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now, that is as great as you ever could have hoped it could be. This movie is such a blast. As much as we loved the one-armed executioner, Blind Rage is only just a little tiny bit underneath it. It's not quite as good a movie as, as, as the one-armed executioner is, but it's definitely as fun, if not even slightly funner. Absolutely. Right, Absolutely. Than one-armed executioner. Blind Rage is just a perfect trash movie. But it's, they're also going all over the world. In this yes. film, I mean, it's well, in, in the most <laughs> threadbare, they make, they make it, threadbare way possible. Yeah, they make you feel as though you're going all over yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, but well, they go all over the world like you go all over the world in uh, <laughs> uh, in Rules of Attraction. You know, yeah, they, the European they, tour. They show they show up with a 16 millimeter camera and then they film you Sinjinku. Yeah, <laughs> like for a night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and exactly then they, it. Then they show up in Hong Kong and film Hong Kong for a day. Yeah, and then they go <laughs> shoot the interiors all in the. Philippines. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and and literally, them hiring Fred Williamson is like they already shot an entire Filipino movie, and then they go, look, we need Fred for a weekend. We yeah. just need Fred for the weekend. And they come to Los Angeles and shoot that in, but, in, in a weekend or four days. But let's recognize the fact that Los Angeles is so well represented in this movie that it almost becomes a character. You know, it, it is such well, a treasure it, to it, be able well, to it's have well, this well, movie. It's well that, represented in that way that we've mentioned before in other films. Where we get to see Los Angeles, especially 1976. It's, it's the grade Z movies. The way they shoot with their big wide. They're stealing stuff. They're not. Yeah, they're, they're not, stealing. They're not it. hiding it underneath a production. They they want to be around big signs. They want to be about around big cities. And then you you get a sense of the signage of a city. You get a you know, and they oftentimes shoot the them street in, life. Yeah, in, in in Riverside, or they shoot them in Hollywood. 
you get a sense of Los Angeles in these movies that you don't get in any other ones. You, you, you're, you're able to see a crazy restaurant and read the sign, <laughs> read the little <laughs> slogan. You're able to completely read whatever movies that are playing on marquees, you know, uh, uh, on the film. But here's the thing about Blind Rage is, is it starts off like a silly plot and it's a silly premise and maybe they'll have fun with it. And that's all I'm expecting it to be. And that's really all it is in the first 20, 25 minutes of the movie. This has that really fun bunch of guys on a mission movie kind of thing. Gathering up the team, yeah, well, putting yeah. it together. Yeah, they 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 like they, like they see, come up with the idea for uh okay, we're gonna do a robbery with these blind guys. Well, we have these five blind guys in mind. Now we gotta talk them into it, but we think they're gonna but do But seeing it. how each one of those guys lost their oh, yeah. sight well, is no, no. one of the fun parts of it. No, again, it's a trope, all right. Yeah. So it's like you know, they have a whole list of here's a photo. There's a photo of Durvro Martin. And then it's described what he did, uh, how he lost his sight, and then you see it. You see a whole vignette of Durvo Martin losing his eye. By the way, and like, oh, knowing the first three guys you're going to have to watch, we're going to have to watch them get blind. Yeah. And also, like, like with fingers in the eye, like, oh, you're going to, like, squeal on us or whatever the hell. Fingers in the eye. (laughs) So you see, like, the photographs of the different guys who are going to be our team and the little vignettes about, like, how they all lost their sight. Then they have to go and approach them all. And then they eventually get them. Then they, they hire a girl, uh, who happens to teach at a blind school. Yeah, Layla Hermosa. She's a, a teacher for the blind, just like the way in, in uh, the Doberman gang. They hired the girl who knows how to uh, train and Dobermans. Dogs, yeah. Okay, so Charlie Dalvo is the guy who's kind of putting this whole uh, thing together. And he's the one who hires uh, uh, Layla Hermosa to train these blind guys. Now, if you've listened to one of the earlier episodes uh, where we talk about uh, uh, women in cages... Okay, that guy, uh, Charlie Davo, is uh, Rudy. He's the bad guy from, yeah. from from Women in Cages. So as soon as we, as soon as he showed up, hey, there's Rudy. Right. Yeah, yeah. He, and I always recognized him because he looked a lot like Dennis Humbert, hey, Dad, who yeah. was one of the owner, the silent owner of Video Archives, who used to work at the card clubs. So it's always great. So when, whenever I see Rudy, I'm like, oh yeah. my god, it's Dennis. Well, there's, there's many times that what we watch is overlapping, but it's fun when we don't intend it to overlap, and it overlaps. So this is that's kind of an overlap. Yeah, he's thing. Beca- he's becoming one of the show's uh, yeah he is. favorites. <laughs> But part of the thing, though, about the 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 gal who teaches the blind guys is it does seem a little bit like he's going to have to talk her into it. He goes, "Okay, look, I'd like to hire you. I've got a job for you. Well, what am I going to be doing in this job? Well, you're going to be doing just like you're doing here. You're going to be training a bunch of blind guys." To rob a bank. <laughs> She's like, what? What the, no, no, let me just explain it. Okay. So he starts explaining it. You're not exactly sure if, if that explanation is enough at that given moment. It seems to be enough for her. But it, but, well, apparently it seems to be enough for her. Because then almost all the scenes after that scene, after he has to convince her, not only is she convinced it seems like she's leading the gang. Yeah, you've got, you're going to have to do this before the alarm gets tripped, and you're going to have to do this, and you go to the front desk, and you and be sure to intimidate this one, and be sure to do like she suddenly she, she rises com- to the occasion. She completely rises to the occasion. She starts training everybody what they need to do. She has absolutely no qualms whatsoever. If if uh, if she's torn for anyone, you don't get it. I mean, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, Charlie Dabo, part of his thing is to be there all the time, but he never talks. So they don't... Uh, uh, yeah, he's the silent, like, he's uh, the silent puppet guy. master. He's the and... silent puppet master, so the blind guys have no no clue on him whatsoever. But uh, Leila Hermosa, 
becomes the lead of the movie seemingly for Fully. the first 45 minutes. Yeah. Now, and the, there's even an interesting thing about her as far as the movie is concerned, because the actress who's playing her is actually quite fun. She has a real twinkle in her eye. Yet, she's being dubbed, and I'm pretty sure that it's not her doing the dubbing. I'm pretty sure it's another actress doing the dubbing. Now, my feeling is this, is the person who's doing the dubbing isn't actually an actress. But that doesn't mean she's bad. She's just not a professional actress. She does an okay job, but she's a little monotone, which... Leela Hermosa doesn't seem monotone in her delivery, but as time goes on, the dichotomy of the sparkle in Leela Hermosa's eyes and the not bad monotone vocal delivery ends up working yeah. at a certain point. It seems off at well, first. It seems like but, but when she talks so much, she's always she, she she spends the whole first half of the movie just giving one monologue after another uh, to the guys to teach them what they're doing, and she's on their case. Yeah, and know, it, these are bad dudes. All right, she's no, 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 no. That's not right. You got to do it like this. <laughs> What's great is that entire kind of training sequence, which mm. is, you know how in the Doberman gang, yeah. how they, uh, uh, they, they but, create fake banks and they, yeah, they have and a instead balsa, of dyna- balsa wood, uh, bank. a little balsa wood bank. All right. And for them to, I love how this training sequence culminated in that, this great, magnificent, long shot that uh, Efren Pignon yeah. uh, sets up, which is just this great, wonderful, it, wide traveling shot showing this wire fr- balsa wireframe no, of it, a bank. That shot is so good because that shot clues you in that you've been watching this movie a little bit more than you thought you were. Yeah. Because now it's kind of exciting. And they actually do a big shot that, like, that. Like uh, an epic move. An epic move for this cheap movie that shows all the blind guys getting into place in their little practice balsa wood bank. And it kind of just shows it off in this really cool way. And it just also shows that we're kind of keeping up with the movie. We're kind of like following it. And, and it, it starts getting exciting. Now, then it comes time to actually do the robbery. And I can honestly say, and I don't think I'm guilty of hyperbole here. Look, I love low-grade, trashy movies like this. They're a lot of fun, and I don't apologize. It's your thing. I don't apologize for it whatsoever. They either pull them off or they're not, and they can be fun, and they can be this, and they can be whatever. Okay. But when the actual robbery started happening, I was far more connected to what was going on in this movie than I am to most cheap, trashy, little exploitation movies. I totally gave a fuck. I kind of cared about the guys, even though they're not good guys, but I kind of, but I, I, I was interested how the robbery was going to work. I mean, I was, I was plugged in. I was plugged in more than I normally would be to a movie like this. It's actually generally exciting when, because the whole part of the robbery is they don't want to appear like blind guys. They want to appear as if they're sighted. So no one would think that blind guys were doing this. So their whole thing is to not give away that they're blind. And because they've been rehearsing on a scale set of the bank, they'll know exactly where, like, the mannequin of the guard would have been on the set will be where the guard is in in real life. And then also something weird about this movie that's really kind of unique is... There's so many movies where people play blind and they they put on glasses and they do this and they, they do that. These guys who are playing the blind guys 
Like there, there is no extra sight for them. They seem like realistic blind people doing it. And actually, I think the my guess is the magician is actually really blind. Right. That's the one I think is really blind. Is the guy playing the magician? It actually is thrilling watching the blind guys during the robbery take their robbery positions. They all got guns, and like obviously don't they don't have eyes to keep a lookout on anybody, but they're attuned to sound. So if anybody makes a sound that they're not supposed to make. That motherfucker gets shot dead. Yeah. <laughs> Just right away. And they don't fuck around. What I what I love is like the the poor uh like receptionist girl or whatever she is, the the teller girl who's just yeah. sitting at a desk and she just rotates her chair a little. Boom! She, yeah, boom, gets blown away. Yeah. <laughs> don't rotate your chair. Yeah, d- yeah. I, I, we said don't move. <laughs> and we mean it. Don't move. <laughs> don't fucking move. Now, the other thing that's also, you know, special extra bubblegum flavor in sort of this bubblegum is the idea that the guys are fucking badass dudes i like the fact that oh they're not oh they're blind and so you also start like now you're kind of rooting for them you know uh they make them like these no these are bad bad dudes these are fucked up killers the the whole thing is is a bad dude situation the plan is mean these guys <laughs> are fucking crumbs all right they, they all are coming from a, a a disreputable place but that makes me love the guys all the more all right? <laughs> the fact that they're scoundrels and I'm going to make a, a, a unilateral decision that we don't say anything that happens after the robbery. Yeah, that sounds I good. I mean, we can mention that Fred Williamson shows up as, as his character, Jesse Crowder, who's like a, he's kind of a skip tracer. He's done, he did two movies uh, with that character. One was called uh, 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 No Way Back, and another one was called Death Journey, which actually duplicates the storyline of Midnight Run, years before Midnight Run. But th- that's his kind of character from his film company. And so uh, he, he is a special guest star performance as Jesse Crowder trying to you know wrap up the guys at the end. Well, they definitely know what they're doing because they pop him like a like a high school picture or something like a picture of Fred yeah, Williamson uh-huh. like in the upper left corner of the poster but the, which but is, you get really involved with the gang and them pulling off the robbery I got to say Fred Williamson looks mm-hmm. so good running in this yeah, movie yeah, does, like Tom yeah. Cruise is a great runner like you watch that guy run and it's fun to watch him mm-hmm. run but watching Fred Williamson run at the end of this movie was just like great. Like right. it's like, man, he look at him go. And the and the other guys along with that bad Derville Martin. Yeah. All right, is also uh, Leo Fong, who who wrote the script. He, right. He, he wrote yeah, this. Yeah. He wrote the script. Well. And uh, if you're an L.A. martial art fan, uh, or Los Angeles, California martial art fan, Leo uh, Fong starred in a whole series of movies that he uh, produced himself. He wrote the scripts for. Uh, also by this same director, there's Executioner from Death Row. There's a film I saw theatrically, Low Blow, but the really good one, the really, really good one is a movie called Kill Point, which uh, stars Leo Fong that he wrote that also has Cameron Mitchell and uh, Richard Rountree. Kill Point's a lot of fun. There's a great trailer uh, for it you can find. But then there's also uh, Tony Farrar, uh, who's in the movie. He's the guy who ends up ratting them out. Mm-hmm. But, he, but he's the guy when the, when, the, when the gang tried to stop him, he shoots his way out. Yeah. Okay, that's Tony Farrar. He's sort of like the James Bond of the Philippines. And then there's Charlie Davo, who is uh, Rudy. Yeah. So it's an all-star grade Z little cast, but they're 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 a lot of fun. And so, Roger, what was your take on all this? After I've been doing all the talking. Well, I, I think Franklin Browner had some thoughts, but I think he stole the first line from Gala, which is better than the Doberman Gang. <laughs> better than the Doberman Gang. However, here as there, the theme is the same: crime doesn't pay, nor should it. But it's in the artistry of the heist. 
the machinations and designs that we may find deep respect. The joke at the end plays like a braille button and is equally appreciated. <laughs> that was the only way I could think of like, uh, like uh, not uh, giving uh, away the end. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll go, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> When whenever I think of any movie, I think of like, okay, if I were going to make this, what would it be like? And I was thinking, okay, so somebody comes to me and they say, okay, we want to make a movie about a bunch of blind guys robbing a bank. My first question would be like, how? And how are you going to make that interesting? And like, how is that going to be good? But under the Doberman uh, archetype, yeah. Or maybe this was the archetype. Did Doberman come first? No, no, came, Doberman came way before. Yeah, this. way before. It's like 72 or something, right? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Around yeah. then. Right. However, under that archetype, it's so clear. Mm-hmm. And it suddenly becomes like really like a kind of Hollywood movie. And then I, I'm, I'm telling you, when it cuts to the bank robbery and the blind guys like actually enter yep. the bank and take their positions, it's thrilling. It's literally like you can't take your eyes off the screen and you almost are holding your breath. But I also like the fact that this movie is is um, like the Doberman gang. There is no real victory in the end. Crime doesn't pay. And it may not pay with like a little joke at the end, but it just doesn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's exactly I, I, what makes it a Hollywood movie. That's, uh, that's, frankly, I, I kind of wish it did. I, well, I, but, but, that's a... <laughs> what, but that's what allows you as an audience yeah. to have fun with what are effectively criminals. Gala, what was your take on Blind Rage? Okay, now we're talking. This movie, I haven't felt that way about this movie since the one-armed executioner. <laughs> Honestly, I love it. Yeah, I, I knew. Well, the, good. I, I knew I right say, away. I knew look, right away. This is like Gala's. No, but also is Roger was really loving the movie when we watched it. He was being a bit demure on the, uh, I'm like, sputtering around like a chicken talking about how good it is and he's just kind of biting his tongue a little bit you were doing a fine job representing the movie I've I've been waiting for somebody to chime in about how much fun this is I've been chomping at the bit like a Doberman to get in on this conversation because this movie first off has one of my favorite lines maybe of any movie ever it's going down at the International House of Pancakes. Oh, I love that. Yeah, 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 it was great. But that little, that brown little coffee pot, always like in the middle of the of the counter. And again, right. there's another example the of L.A. being a character. F- at a big kung fu fight on the top of the building that has like the, the IHOP. The, the IHOP, IHOP right side it. completely parallel <laughs> with the horizon. Yeah, because yeah. if you're not in the IHOP or in the parking lot of the IHOP or across the street from the IHOP, you're next door to the IHOP on the roof. <laughs> yeah, in a kung fu fight. <laughs> in a kung fu fight. Look, and by the way, I was rooting. I was rooting for Charlie Dabo to win that yeah. fight against uh, Jesse Crowder. I'm just saying. As much as I like Big Fred, <laughs> look, this movie. Yeah, it's like the Doberman Gang, but the Doberman Gang does not, in my opinion, hold a candle to this movie. I love this movie. The premise of like these blind guys going to rob a bank. How are they going to do it? They pull it off. It's awesome. I love the crewing up scene and like mm-hmm. the way that they became blind. They all have such... I, I only wish that they had shown how the guy who got gored by the yeah. bull got blind. Yeah. I, like, I, I understand... They didn't have the money for that. I, 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 I understand <laughs> that that was the problem, but I just wish that I could have seen him getting hit in the face by a bull yeah, I, or something like that because like the fact that they didn't... The two of the guys didn't get little uh, yeah. little moments. That yeah. was a drag because I love those as you do. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was so cool like seeing how they got blind how they all had such unique backstories. Yeah. The Manador like, was one of my favorite guys. Too. Yeah. The guy with awesome. that Fumet mustache. Yeah, yeah, he was, was awesome. Good, yeah. And I also, a scene that you guys didn't bring up was the drill torture scene. Oh, my Lord. Where it's oh, like, yeah. this guy is, okay, so for the viewers that at was, home. 
That was her. That was horrible. Yeah, it, was it was awesome. Unbelievable. It yeah. was awesome. In a movie <laughs> that is bursting <laughs> to the seams <laughs> with popping eyeballs, that was the most horrific of the popping yeah, eyeballs. Scenes. I think that was the one where I was like, "Oh God!" No, that was the one. I was like, "Oh, oh!" They're stretching it out too. Yeah. yeah. So for you guys that like at home, just so you know, there's like a guy laying down, and his head is like secured in with what looks in a like a vice or something. It could, it's a vice, but it looks like it also could be electrocuting him at some point, <laughs> yeah. maybe in the future. For fun, for fun. And then all of a sudden, there's like this drill, and they're gonna drill on him. It is so just gross. They even have like cool little touches where they're synchronizing their Braille watches. Those Braille watches oh, were yeah. so cool. I didn't know that Braille watches were a thing. This movie actually taught me something well, about it was that exists. Well, it taught me that uh, three straight lines, you know, like a Roman numeral three is 12 noon on a Braille watch. Or not 12 noon, but mm-hmm. uh, the 12 The symbol, 12, yeah. yeah. Which, which I was interesting. And so I was like actually looking at the Braille stuff on it. And, and I was thinking they must have done some kind of deal with like a Braille watch company or some yeah. watch company that did Braille watches because suddenly we had all these like product shots, which I loved. I, yeah, usually yeah. I'm like, eh, like they're showing off a product. Omega, yeah, yeah. But that was like, whoa. I'd never yeah, seen, yeah, yeah. I'd I never seen never, that I before. I didn't even know those existed. I want one. They're, they're really cool. And I just, I love that this movie actually taught me something that I didn't mm-hmm. know was real. And like, here it is. Here's an actual product that people who are blind can use. Um, the heist scene is rad. Okay, there's no, well, shoes. I have to say, look, when I was saying, when I was describing how uh, I, I got excited during the high scene, I was looking at you and you yeah. were like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and yeah, you're yeah, looking yeah. at me and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But because, because even like that shot, that one long mm-hmm. shot, that epic shot. Mm-hmm. Was so good. It like the heist almost became irrelevant to me. As good as it is, that shot is so great. Yeah, well, it's not about the shot. It was like just to see the blind guys now operating with real people and, yes. and trying to pull off the fact that they're not blind, that they're that, well, that they're sighted. What makes that heist good? And, and the fact that it actually works. What makes that heist so great is just how suddenly balls out violent it becomes yeah, 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 yeah. and how they just start shooting people well, yeah. it's I like also, whoa I also like love their gadgets that they have like the shoes that make the clicks so that yeah, they know not yeah. to shoot each other it's yeah. such a cool concept because your senses are yeah. heightened mm-hmm. so you know not to shoot it now when he shoots like the bank teller or the girl that just rotates her chair he shoots her and then he says sorry don't move yeah right yeah yeah I love how he apologizes yeah. to her well, for like, shooting well her. Leo Fogg is, looks like he's most of, he's supposed to be the most sympathetic of the group right? yeah, <laughs> he, he wrote the script. He wrote the yeah. script. So he... And like, <laughs> let's just talk about really quick how they steal fifteen million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is such a crazy amount of money for in now. In nineteen seventy six. But in nineteen seventy six, yeah. that is like a crazy amount of money. And these blind guys steal fifteen million dollars. And when okay, and I'm, I don't want to say what happens, but like, but one of the best shots of the movie is an overhead shot that ultimately seals their fate. Yes. All right, but but it's an amazing shot. Yeah. But I don't yes. want to. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah, talk no, about no, it. And I don't no. know if I can say this, but the plane explosion. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is huge. Like, that yeah. is a huge plane where, like, it explodes. And it's, oh, no. They, they blew up a, they yeah, blew they, up a plane. They went yeah. out and blew up a plane. They found a plane that they could blow up. And it yeah. gives me exactly what I want out of a plane explosion yeah. a gigantic, yeah. over the top plane explosion that I can't explain. That's in this like low budget movie. Yeah, yeah. No, we've watched Italian movies where like the mo- cut to a model airplane, the plane yeah. explodes. No, this is a real plane that they blew up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Tito Soto who does the music for this film. Okay, the music. So, yeah, the music in okay, this movie. This is music in this movie is phenomenal. Now, for those of you that don't know, Tito Soto is a pioneer of what's called the Manila Sound Movement. And anyone in the Philippines will actually know him as the current president of the Senate. Oh my god! <laughs> along with the man that is running for vice president right now. 
Mm. So he used to be on a talk show that was really popular, and he was an actor. Tito Soto? Yeah, Tito Soto. He was on a talk show. He was an actor. Then he was a musician in this movie. I think he did a few other movies for the music. But yeah, he did Manila Sound. He Now he's running for vice president. So shout out to Tito Soto. Well, Place the, your vote today. Well, the <laughs> Philippines are famous for having movie stars become presidents. And they're also famous, like Fernando Poe Jr., who's, yeah. um, who's in a lot of early... Uh, um, Eddie Romero movies. Uh, they're famous for having movie stars that become presidents, and they're famous for having movie stars that become presidents. They're all thrown in jail for corruption <laughs> because of their presidents. Yeah, we're, we're close to that. We're close to that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, got, we at least got the president-actor thing going on here. <laughs> well, hopefully that doesn't happen to Tito Soto. Um, the director, Efren C. Pignon, he also does this really awesome movie that is available on YouTube called uh, The Killing of Satan. It's a 1983 movie. Mm. This movie has the most awesome visual effects that you might the, see. The Killing of Satan. The Killing of Satan. I, I, I'm not that really crazy about big devil movies, so yeah. I've always kind of held off seeing that. You know, I don't oh. think the movie is Because as... I want to see Devil's Reign with you. No, I will not. That, <laughs> I, that I can see. Really... I think Blind Rage is like a better movie personally yeah, yeah. but there's like one scene in the killing of satan where a boulder is falling and a man runs in front of it and the boulder goes and mm -hmm. squishes the man but mm -hmm. like his head is sticking out of the dirt and they've dug him in and he looks <laughs> like he's been squished it's boulder. a really cool it's a really oh. cool thing so pinion has like a lot of interesting ideas and he executes them and blind rage i think is evident of well, that this is and also by the way it's another movie that could easily be a big hollywood movie oh, and i think I it, mean, it's got, I think it, it has a strong be. structure even the ending mm -hmm. which i don't want to give away plays into a kind of you know hollywood uh, more introspective ending in some way well but, i wouldn't lose the bad I, I wouldn't lose the robbers a better version of this movie would would, would follow the robber story they, they, yes. they i get that i would get them out of los angeles yeah and they get to where they're going and then wherever can happen can happen yeah yeah the thing is like i want to say this movie should be remade but i don't want it to be remade because i think it's so great as it is and i feel like if it was remade as a big hollywood movie it would lose the charm the charm Gala, I just you are we we are yeah. we, we are you two watch. we are right together yeah. on this movie, yeah. man. We are walking in step. Yeah. Right. This movie where are, have you been all my life? <laughs> <laughs> my friends are so annoyed with me right now because every time I want to watch a movie, I want to watch like a seventies exploitation movie, and they're like, "God, Gala, not again!" Like, can we please stop watching a women in prison film? Can we please not watch like a Filipino exploitation film? And, and Gala's like, "No." <laughs> I'm like, oh, "This is what I'm watching. <laughs> Deal with it." Now, Dervil Martin. Okay. A lot of times he's second to Fred Williamson. Yeah, yeah. He, like, he, he, he made a career as his uh, sidekick, as, yeah. as, as a pudgy little comic sidekick. Yeah, so I was actually really excited to see him as like the lead. And he's top billed on uh, Letterboxd mm. for this. Now, this movie actually caused me to go into like a Derville Martin tailspin. <laughs> <laughs> I watched 1970's The Watermelon Man, where he plays the bus driver. Yeah, yeah. I watched 1972's Hammer, where he plays Hammer. Sonny. Yeah, yeah. Huh? I watched the Black, oh, as Criterion calls it, the Black Charlie trilogy. Uh, where he <laughs> they call it the Charlie. Black Charlie trilogy. The Black Charlie trilogy. <laughs> that is what it has been renamed to, yes. But uh, he's Toby. I really like his performance as Toby in those movies. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we, as an audience, probably know him best as the Director of Dolomite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I loved him in Blind Rage. Uh -huh. I just had such a fun time watching this movie. I think everyone should go watch this movie. Please go watch Blind Rage. One other good uh, uh, Derville Martin other film is uh, 
movie where he's the sidekick with Billy D. Williams. That's like a, a black revolutionary polemic called "The Final Countdown." Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. I uh, want to see final that come one. Down. The final yeah. come down. Final that come down. That was also actually released. Uh, Roger Corman took out all the politics and added more action, and released it uh, later in the mid seventies as Blast. Oh, a blast sounds like a blast. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was like... Get get rid of all that troublesome politics and make the movie good. Yeah, Alan Arkush was hired... uh, It was right after Hollywood Boulevard. Alan Arkush was hired to take Oscar Williams Jr.'s uh, uh, final come down, lose the political polemic, turn it more into a black exploitation movie, uh, emphasize Billy D. Williams, and then like shoot 20 extra minutes with Dervell Martin all mm-hmm. right, to make it a different movie. And so uh, Alan Arkush was happy to do it. He, he, he did it. But then I talked to Arkush about it, and he goes, well, I started feeling kind of guilty that you know here I am, this young white filmmaker, young hippie kid going in there and taking this black filmmakers film and then removing the politics and just adding action. So uh, I called up Oscar Williams, told him what I was planning on, what what Roger was planning, told him what I was planning on taking out, what I was planning to add. And then I kind of asked him permission. And Oscar just laughed. Oh, I don't give a shit as long as Roger sends the check. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay then. (laughs) So if you watch the blast version, all right, you get even more Drew Martin. Okay, well, I'm going to be watching the blast (laughs) version. Now, he's also in uh, Shiba Baby, isn't he? I think he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he's in that one too, but I haven't seen that yet. So that's on my list of movies. If my friends are listening, you're going to be forced to watch these movies with me. So (laughs) anyway, I actually, I watched this on YouTube. Uh, It's not sadly available on Amazon to rent, but it's available on YouTube. So go get it while you can. What's going on, Amazon? Yeah. What's wrong with you guys? Where's Blind Rage? Well, good. F Amazon. Watch it for free on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully the YouTube video is still up so everyone out there can go watch it right now. Well, Gala, when it comes to Blind Rage, I just happen to have a review from the Video Archives podcast, one of their favorite reviewers, Jim Sheldon. Oh, oh great. I'm so excited to hear it. From his porno rag days. From this the is, porno rag. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so from uh, uh, issue January 1981, Blind Rage during the time that it played at the Cameo Theater. That ended up being its Los Angeles debut because it never played uh, first run. So it played at uh, the Cameo Theater, which some people a, will know was a flop house for the bums. They yeah. showed four movies all night long and then the bums slept there. And at like 4 a.m., the guy comes through with like a pipe. Uh, yeah, get, get out. Get the hell out. Get the hell out. Wake up. Show's over. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. And then the bums like walk the street for like a couple hours and then you go know, back the, in. Then the theater <laughs> opens up again. So uh, when there was a, ever a, a movie that didn't get a, a first run theatrical uh, Los Angeles engagement and it played at the cameo, he would always go to the cameo to review it. What other critics were in the audience that day? One must have. Oh, uh, none. None. <laughs> <laughs> Just Jim Sheldon. January 30th, 1981. Blind Rage, not to be confused with Death Rage starring Yul Brenner, is a 1978 U.S.-Philippines co-production with a slightly inventive plot overwhelmed by gooped-up production values, washed-out lensing, all post-synced sound, and a score that sounds like a warped record used for too many porn flicks. And it co-stars those two buddy rubs from the mid-70s, Black Exploitation, a farts, squat, 
Darrell Martin, and Beef Brain Fred Williamson. Beef Brain. Ooh. <laughs> the unjustly R-rated drama showed up as one quarter of a slight menu at the Baltistic Cameo downtown. Efren C. Pignon directed the Jerry O. Tarzanana Leo Fong script. Minus sex or profanity, the film's 82 minutes are inoffensive but inept. Obsessively shot in Las Vegas, L.A., Long Beach, Tokyo, Manila, and Hong Kong. F plus. Ooh. <laughs> the plus is the... Yeah. Oh, that's... That means that's, that's from him. That's, that means it's not yeah. that bad. Yeah. <laughs> there was something, there's something going on there's here. There's something going on. <laughs> yeah. This has something. Um, I caught a VHS, just like Quentin's, which is an MGMA UA, they call it a book or a carton case, I think. Yeah, well, I guess I, I guess it I, looks I, like a book sense. and yeah. a carton. Yes. And More I got, like a book than a carton, I would say, because it opens up like a book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a book. Um, I got mine for $17 and three cents. Oh, so the same one as this one, The huh? same one as that one. $17? Hey, that's a good, that's a, that's a $17 well spent. Yeah, that's it a is. good price. And shout out to Video Unlimited on Tennessee Avenue in McKaysville, Georgia, 30555, which is where my tape originally came from. So if you bought this... Or if you rented this tape at Video Unlimited in Georgia, give me a shout out. Yeah, oh, let wow. us know. Okay. I've got, uh, okay, mine was from a place called Victory Video, but it doesn't have any a- address or anything. Victory Video. But there's a handwritten thing, please rewind tape. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and look at that. MGM, look at the MGMUA, 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 MGMUA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the inside. For everyone's reference, Quentin has opened up the book uh, VHS and has taken out the VHS and is looking inside the case. That has the imprint. Yeah. The plastic. Uh, the kind imprinator of, tray. of MGMUA. And by the way, okay, MGMUA, not like Paragon, approximately. All right. This is time. Oh, no, no, it says approximate screening time as well. <laughs> It's funny you can't just get this, like, exactly, but okay. <laughs> Even according to MGMUA, it's approximately 82 minutes. Now, Quentin, this was canon releasing this uh, originally, right? Yes. So this is like a canon film, a canon pickup. And this is definitely a canon uh, a, a canon pickup. But yeah, a canon pickup is funny because, yeah, well, they, they just released it as, like, the second and third, third bill of grindhouses. Right, right. <laughs> Okay, so now it's a war time. Yeah. You guys, just to warm you guys up, I have a category called strangest concept. Okay. What? Which of these three movies do you think has the strangest concept? Oh, strangest? Well, it's kind of between mm. uh, Welcome to Blood City and Blind Rage. I'm going to say Blind Rage, strangest concept. Yeah, I think I'll go for Blind Rage as well. Because, uh, you know, Welcome to Blood City, it's a VR thing, and it's not so strange because we're familiar it's with... pretty fucking strange. Though. Well, but we're familiar, yeah, 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 technically, yeah. with Westworld. So, Blind Rage... Well, I guess Blind Rage, we're be... familiar with Doberman Gang. Yeah, 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 I know. Hmm. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to go with Welcome to Blood City because I feel like it's more likely that five blind guys are going to rob a bank than whatever <laughs> is happening in Welcome to Blood City. <laughs> I think I'll go with that, too. Yeah, I, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. For okay, a do- so... For look. a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, this is either the easiest or the hardest award of the day. Best lead actor. Hmm. Oh, for me, that's easy. It's Franco Guerra yeah, as Ortega. It's as Ramon Ortega. Oh, well, to me, it's Jack Palance. Oh, okay. okay. Well, 
I thought Wait, I, I thought he, I was going to get a leading actor. I think he's the lead. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the um, he's uh, the yeah one. I would actually call you know Kira yeah. Delay is the leading man per se. But I would say that Jack Palance is also okay. the his lead. His name is I, just okay, as big I on was the video holding, box. I was holding out on Jack Palance so that I could give it to him as best supporting actor. Oh, you were. But the truth of the matter is, I see his name right there, number it's one, absolutely. top of the box, and his picture is the biggest. I mean, look, Care Doulet is definitely the hero of the movie, yeah. but I think they're both the leads. Yeah, I have to give... I mean, listen, you know how much I adore it's Franco okay Guerrero. It's okay, because I'm going to stick with Franco Guerrero, so okay, he's okay, going to win yeah. on my part. I'm gonna, I got go to I go to my man Jack. As long as we keep the Jack Palance performances at this level... Then he's going to win every yeah. single fucking time. If, if, he, right, yeah, if yeah. he's not going to get a best supporting actor, if I'm, if I can't, and I have to. But having look, said look, that, look, Franco I, Guerrero I is my I, is my yeah. other choice. I don't think I'm cheating. I don't think I'm cheating. No, 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 no you're, you're not right. cheating. He's right. not the hero, but he is the I lead. His just, name is exactly the same size, yeah. and also but it's even on the left. watching the movie, he's the lead. I yeah. was, he, he's one of the leads. I was just trying to give it to another actor who I, I really who I really love. When it comes to best female lead, I think I have to give it to Layla Hermosa. Yeah, even though she's dubbed. Doesn't matter. Her performance, no, I, her performance actually, shines through that, strongly. I had a big conversation once. I ended up having, me and Daniela ended up having dinner once with uh, Andy McDowell. Hmm. And so we talked to her about doing uh, uh, Greystoke, where she's dubbed oh, yeah. by uh, uh, Glenn Close. And look, as far as she was concerned, it was the worst thing that could ever happen to her. To be an actress at her level at that point and then to be dubbed by another yeah. actor. Well, she wasn't quite at that level. This was like what really launched her off. So it really made her look really bad. Mm -hmm. But then I talked to her about Paul and Kale's review. Because Paul and Kale actually thought she gave me one of the best performances in the movie. And she talked about it. And then she goes, I don't even care if she's dubbed. That's how much I like her performance. <laughs> Now, does Jodie Kay count as best actress or best supporting actress? I think actress? she's best supporting actress. Okay, then I'm going to have to agree with you, too. I think that the performance of Leila Hermosa, or is that the character's name or is that her name? No, that's, no, that's her, her name. her name. Well, I, I love yeah, that uh, name. Yeah. Leila Hermosa's name in the movie is uh, Sally. Sally. <laughs> <laughs> per perfect, perfectly normal name. <laughs> Thank God it's not Jeff. Yes, it's like, yeah. Okay. Leila Hermosa as Sally Brown. <laughs> <laughs> well, then Leila Hermosa 100% gets best actress from me. Uh, which means we're not giving it to our girl, our uh, Samantha Edgar. You can't win them all. I, I, I can't win them all. I just apologize to, to Samantha Edgar. Okay. I apologize to her because it's not her fault. It's the role. Okay. Now, this actually might be the even more important role. Best supporting actor. Oh. With all the blind guys, <laughs> all the dastardly bastards in One-Armed Executioner. <laughs> I know who mine is. Who's yours? Who? Everybody wants to be the king of shit hill, but it ain't that easy. <laughs> so Nigel Hogue? Nigel Hogue, of course. My, my man as Edwards, the drug kingpin of One-Armed Executioner. This one was really difficult for me, but I think I'm going to have to give it to the actor that plays Jason for his maniacal laughter. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Leo Fong. Huh. I really liked Leo Fong. Well, also, also, awesome. also, he's yeah. he's. A, I, know, I know who he is and everything. Also, as a writer actor, you well, know, he wrote the script, so he's yeah. bringing a lot to these. Uh, yeah, he, to this he, movie. But also, uh, especially him, I like the way he sold the blind thing in yeah. the in the robbery, especially, yeah. especially. So speaking of Leo Fong, who gets your best screenplay vote? Because mine goes to Leo Fong. I was ready to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm... mine does too, and my, the only reason. Okay, well, Welcome to Blood City would absolutely win in a walk 
if the third act was better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. No, but it's 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 the script that could have been great. And frankly, the one on Executioner, for as much as I love the screenplay, mm-hmm. in the end, it has that little bit of a sloggy moment and it, a little bit of what... I mean, it's not a misstep. It's a very intentional step, but Bl- Blind Rage is is, yeah, but, but, is the better screenplay. Bl- Blind Rage. No, no. Bl- no, Leo Fong absolutely wins for Blind Rage. Best director. Or d- dare I need even ask? Well, I'm going to say Bobby Suarez. I'm saying Bobby like, Suarez. Yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's Bobby Suarez. <laughs> it's, Bobby it's, Suarez. A, it's a sweep. It's, it's a sweep. It's, like, it's a sweep, Bobby Suarez. I'm, I'm glad That's there's no... That's why I said dare I say ask. Yeah. And dare I say ask, best picture. Oh, well, the one-armed oh. executioner. Well, oh, for okay. me, it's the one-armed executioner. Well, to me, it's the one-armed executioner. But but Blind Rage is like just right there. Okay, look, I I love I love the one-armed executioner. Like supporting actress for me is totally Jodie K. Totally Jodie K. But Blind Rage has it for me for Best Picture. It was the one I most enjoyed. I think I could watch both of these movies just over and over again. These Blind are totally. Rage. If ever there was a week where there's two gala movies, <laughs> this was the week. Mm-hmm. I understand. This is totally I got, her taste. Like, one I feel like on like a Wednesday, I could want like one arm executioner. On a Friday, I could want blind rage. It could like go I back think and there's forth. An, I think there's an aspect you can hit that blind rage is, is just ever slightly more fun as as fun as one arm executioner is. Blind rage is just slightly more fun, at least well, for one arm sec- executioner is also really painful to watch. Yes, it's really a hard movie to watch in some moments because these people that you love, which is part of the formula, yeah, yeah, the people that you absolutely love are being destroyed in front of you. Oh, both movies are just so good. I don't know how. Uh, if somebody had come to me and said blind rage, I would have probably like, oh god, truly, I got to figure that puzzle out. Mm-hmm. I mean, the screenplay for it is super, super tight. Yeah. And the uh, the, and, and, and the movie is made with all the confidence of like a, a big mainstream and you know, A-plus okay, movie. And so, Roger, would your favorite shot be the shot of uh, oh, yeah. uh, In Blind Rage? Favorite, of- shot, favorite shot would be that one because that was the moment where I was – I had like an aha mm-hmm. moment watching that where suddenly, uh, you know, I've been watching this whole kind of training session and then mm-hmm. suddenly, suddenly it was like – a sweeping brushstroke. Yeah, yeah. It was. I don't know. It was like the magnificent pullback or something. Mm-hmm. It was like this, this great big move showing what's going to happen, and then boom, we're into it. I really can't argue with that at all. It was all. thrilling, actually. It was thrilling to watch. I, I, I really, I got, I had like a little chill. Best shot, though. I think I'm gonna have to give it to the last shot, the last big wide shot of that big spinning. Spinning bottle thing. All right. <laughs> in one armed execution. In one armed execution. When you saw how big the thing was, he had just done his big shooting thing, but it's also, it was, the lighting was just kind of perfect at that time. And you saw how big an apparatus yeah. that it was. It was just kind of just, just before they cut out of the scene. But they cut wide on it. I go, wow, that's actually, that's a neat thing they've come up with. And it looks really good. And someone actually built that. Yeah. And like operated it. And they actually, it's kind of crazy. Well, it's funny because they're doing this like training and everything is kind of reasonable. And then suddenly it escalates into this crazy mechanism that they've built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to build this uh, giant like merry-go-round thing mm-hmm. that you will use but, to I mean, do target it, practice. But it, it's, it's lovely. It's, it's, it's fun. It's so action film exciting when all of a sudden he can just take his gun and then just shoot all these random shit you know i just like it always hit his target yeah. like that is true gun foo doing backflips with a gun foo i mean it's just so fucking badass it's yeah. funny i suspect that um uh ken russell's son what's his name toby uh, toby russell 
probably uh, shied from gung fu because he respects the genre so much, and he wanted to call it, you know, what do you call it, bloody uh, heroic bloodshed? Heroic bloodshed. Because well, well, he already he's a romanticizing. Yeah, it. he loves it. He's romanticizing. He's <laughs> elevating it. He's holding yeah. it up. But the fact of the matter is, gung fu is also a loving. Yes. You know, like. Well, especially, it, it when the especially when it's practiced the way Suarez and Guerrero practice it. Yeah, for sure. I think my favorite shot has to come from the one-armed executioner where you see his arm after it's been cut off. Oh, I, okay. I just love the twitching with the magazine. Yeah, yeah. I love that. If it wasn't that, it would probably also be from the one-armed executioner of them at the beach kissing in the sunset. Actually, as you know what? Th- that's a really good, if not close second almost a first shot because it's captured footage. I mean, I felt guys, his Guys, guys, okay. That's when the movie becomes fairly risable, all right? But... Uh, no, no. That's when the movie goes ahead and schmears on its emotion. And wh- the, what makes it work isn't that they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. What makes it work is that uh, um, uh, Jodie Kay completely sells it. It is real in her eyes and lips. It is. It's real. She's delivering love on screen. I see it. <laughs> but still the hand, when it's gotten cut off, I love it. It's mm. awesome. We love cut off hands. I, apparently show. I love cut off hands. I would actually say, though, if I had to pick from Roger talking about the movie, I would pick Roger's third favorite shot is Franco Guerrero's reaction yes. oh, yeah. to well, Anne's death. I mean, it was... <laughs> Where he's like being held back. Yeah, the gag in his mouth. Yeah, It's almost like his face distorts. The camera gets so close to him. It goes into yeah. such a close-up and uh-huh. his eyes are popping out of his head and it happens like, and the editing, I'll give it to best editor as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know who edited it. I didn't look it up, but I'll def- No, I'll definitely give one arm restitution of yep. best editor. Yeah, because best that, editing, scene best alone, <laughs> that scene alone, the way the way it crescendoed to this, mm-hmm. this moment of just terrible, terrible loss is, uh, yeah, that was a great shot. That was a super, super effective shot. Well, if you haven't gathered it up until now, we enjoyed these three movies a whole bunch. So much. We had such a great time, and we're pretty positive, except for a a few small groups of you that you probably have not heard of these three movies before. And so we're very proud to introduce them to you. I'm Quentin Tarantino. And I'm Roger Avery. And I'm Gala. And until the next time, be kind, rewind. Bye, everyone. Be seeing you. The Video Archives podcast is hosted by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery and produced by Josh Richmond and Gala Avery. Our engineer is Devin Torrey Bryant, and our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Natalie Muellum. We now have Video Archives merch. Go to podswag.com to see everything we have in stock. Find out more about the show by heading to videoarchivespodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Archives and on Instagram at Video Archives Pod. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, 
and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 